This podcast was recorded live on November 4th at 10.30 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samora, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. If you're watching this on Facebook, please make sure you hit that like button and share the discussion. You can also follow us at SJH Podcast Family. If you're watching us on YouTube, remember that you can see this and other videos at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please tap the subscribe button and hit the bell to make sure you're alerted when new videos are available. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SJHMANCAVE and email us at info at SJHMANCAVE.com. And with all that being said, brothers, let's dive right in. And I think <laughs> clearly that there's one topic that is dominating all others, and that would be the presidential election, which at the time of this recording is still not quite wrapped up. Biden has 264 points. He, of course, needs 270 to win, whereas Donald Trump has 214 points. So unfortunately, we can't give you a commentary about how the nightmare is over. Biden has won. We can try to figure out how to move forward, blah, 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 because honestly, the future of the country is still in doubt. So we could talk about the things that we already know, though. And what one of the things we do already know is that Donald Trump has received 68,500,000 votes so far in this election, mm-hmm. um, which puts him, I believe, very close if he hasn't already surpassed the record amount of votes that Obama set back in 2008 which I'm sure for a lot of you is terrifying. And the question has to be, why has Donald Trump been able to garner so much support across the spectrum in this country? His numbers across all, um, at least in the last exit polls that I saw, his numbers across all different demographics, except for white men, has increased meaning more black men, more black women, more uh, Latinos, Latinas across the spectrum have voted for Trump than did in 2016. So, Jason, I guess I'll start with you. What do you believe is the reason Trump has been able to garner so much support in an election that a lot of news media and polls said would be a landslide for Biden? Probably the same reason that he said it was going to be a landslide when he was going up against Hillary. I figured he was going to end up winning just for the simple fact that he seemed to awaken. I don't know exactly what to call it. I've, I've made statements on it in regards to the Democratic Party when it comes to the the old regime of people and how I feel like it's going to be completely different in four years when it comes to the progressive movement and and how people seem to kind of be evolving in the Democratic Party. I believe that he woke up, and it's it's amazing to see how many that it, that it actually turned out to be, that that old guard that seemed to be kind of quiet before the before four years ago and for the last four years that he seems to have awakened this white America. I mean the the base the base America that that seemed to be the reason or the or the focus of how this country was founded. 
like a lot of that attitude. And it's like when you look at Democrats, you you see how they kind of teach their children when it comes to being progressive or at least trying to evolve in their thinking. That same basis that Donald Trump tapped into are literally teaching their children the old ways and how things should be and how it should have been. And they were very quiet for many, many years. And Donald Trump just kind of came in and basically gave them a platform to just arise and become who they really are. And I still think that right now, when it comes to this election, you're fighting against that. And even though that I think there's a bit of a difference in it because that younger generation wasn't able to live that life that the older ones did when, when we talk about like 1940s, 1950s, when we still talk about segregation and still talking about this kind of how people have their place or just, just that white, it's not even white privilege. It's just what white people were when the country was founded. But like there's, there's no progression in conservativeness, obviously, because conserve means to keep things the way they are. So, I mean, you, you're still battling against that. And we, just like we saw in the election in 2016, we saw the abundance of it. And one of the things I think a lot of people on the on the left side were hoping that, you know, it being four years later, that a lot of those younger voters that have dealt with this particular attitude of Trump, uh, they would be the ones to come and step forward and give the votes needed to basically get him out, which I kind of, it kind of seems like you're seeing at this point, at least with the, with the, with the, with the, with the points that are going right now with Biden being up, was it 253, 214 in electoral? So, and with the states that he's won so far, like basically, uh, what's the, what's the one that's been red forever? Is that Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the fact that Arizona turned blue. I mean, I think that's basically just kind of like a a call to it in itself that there is a progressive movement, but it's 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 still that movement that's towards the people that conservative movement or that conservative thought of wanting things to be when America was great again. You know what I mean? Or the way America was at one point, and it and, and the man said it himself. It's like. He can walk in the middle of Fifth Avenue and blow somebody's head off. And I think he's proven his point. I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think it's kind of scary to watch. To me, the real problem is that Trump provides a clear vision for where he's going to take the country. Like like you said, all those people who want to go back to the way things were and want to reach back to the olden times, they see Trump and they're like, this is the guy who's going to take me there. This is this guy who's going to make the country the way I want to see it, you know, white people in charge, keep black people, Latinos in their place and basically just build up on white supremacy. And Biden is presenting this image of, well, hey, I'm not Trump, but I don't feel mm-hmm. like he's actually providing a vision to say this is what the country looks like with me at its head. He's basically saying, hey. I'm not this awful, disrespectful guy on the other side of the aisle. And for that reason, you should you should embrace me and want to vote for me. And for some people, that's enough. For a lot of people, it's enough to just say, you're not Trump. I want to get rid of Trump. So um, I'll, I'll vote for you. But I think there's a lot of people who 
see Democrats and Republicans as essentially shades of each other and are not convinced that Biden is really all that different from Trump. And therefore, him supposedly not being Trump is not enough to get them to want to vote for him. They need a real vision for the country and don't feel like um, they've been provided it. I mean, for in regards to this backing that Trump has, I mean, you, you know, there's a few things. Patriotism is, is one of them. He gives this false sense of, of, of patriotism when he attacks things with regards to the anthem or, or anything like that. And um, marketing is such a is such a bit thing for Republicans. So so they market this patriotism all throughout. And and Democrats have an air of, you know, it, and I don't think this is true, but they have an air of, uh, and I mean Democrats in general, as far as the general public, not just politicians here, have a general air of things need to change, right? Things aren't good. It, it's a general air about that. Um, and we're not pushing the fact that we are patriotic, that, hey, just because we love our country doesn't mean some things don't need to change. And and I think and I think they they market as Democrats want to change things because they don't like the country and they think the country's bad. And hence, every time you talk about trying to improve something in the country, it immediately comes back to go back to where you came from. Um, sir, I grew up. In, in the United States, I was born here. Where exactly would you like me to go back to? I don't understand what you're saying here. So, you know, it, it's it's so so patriotism is, is one thing, a false flag there. And then, you know, people for some reason, because it, and, you know, maybe we'll touch on this later on in the show, because we found out that that we lost a vote on the fair tax. Right. People have this this. This unrequited, is, is that the right word? Unrequited love with millionaires and billionaires for some reason. You know, it, it's, you know, that saying that they, that they would say about, you know, like these heartthrobs, these teen heart, everybody wants to, uh, all the women want to be with them and, and all the men want to be like him, you know, that kind of a thing. And they have this <laughs> admiration for, for people like Trump and all of that. And, and, you know, and hence, we get the fair tax struck down, you know, and, and I don't know where people think this money is going to come from now. But, you know, they, they they have this admiration and they and they follow them to the ends. And I think part of it is that they, they want to try to believe that that these folk are some sort of good businessmen. And, and because of that, they know how to run a country or or something like that. And and, you know, they don't see that they're looking out for their own best interests. Why would millionaires and billionaires, unless they were patriotic, why would they want to pay more taxes? Right. And people don't see that, you know, and they try to and millionaires and billionaires try to hide behind. Well, they're just going to raise taxes on everybody again whenever they want or they're or what are they doing with the money they already have? They, they play these little games to, to make you think that there's any good reason for it other than that. They just don't want to pay. Right. And they're human. They don't want to pay. I get it. I just don't understand why folk like you and me don't understand that. So we take a guy like Trump and they admire 
the fact that he, you know, goes out there and says whatever he wants and does whatever he wants because they want to do that. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week with, with uh, Jamil Hill. Her saying last week about, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to end the problem. We just want to be the ones on top, basically, is what she said. Yeah, right. Patriarchy. And, you know, and 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 I stretch that to a lot of different scenarios. Capitalism. We don't want to stop capitalism. We want to be on top of it. You know, we want to be victorious in it is what we want. So so we hold on to this hope that somehow, you know, we could you know, it's like when we are in the hood, we want to be Michael Jordan. You know, we admire him. Now, Michael Jordan ain't did anything to my knowledge that hurts me. So me wanting to be like Mike. Hey, that's cool. But. But Donald Trump, you know, that that's something that you're, you're really, you know, walking on some thin ground there. I want to circle back to your statement about the fair tax. So for those who do not live in Chicago, there was a, an amendment on the ballot this election season called the fair tax, which was basically going to set up a system that would allow the local governments to start taxing millionaires and billionaires as a higher rate to basically put more of the burden upon them to help the state get out of debt as opposed to figuring out how a bunch of poor people who barely already have money figure out how they can squeeze more money out of them to help balance the books. And that measure was shot down. The reason, uh, the overriding reason that it was shot down is because uh, a particular millionaire, I think his name is Ken Griffin, Griffin, Griffey, something like that. But he basically put together a $150 million campaign um, with ads and, and commercials and just a ton of misinformation to convince the general public in Chicago that the fair tax would be a bad thing and that it's something that should be feared, that um, the fair tax would have a negative impact upon them and that uh, again, that they should vote against it. And it succeeded. It succeeded. And so what's basically going to happen now is this money has to be paid. It's not like Chicago can just ignore this debt. It's not like they could just ignore the financial situation that we're in. And it's not just Chicago. It's the whole state, uh, uh, mind you. They're not going to be able to just ignore it. So now that this measure has went down, they're going to have to figure out how to make sure everybody uh, basically puts in, raise our taxes, financially punish us in some sort of way equally to ensure that these millionaires and billionaires are able to keep that keep their money it is absolutely outrageous but it it brings up the importance of and this is something that i've been talking about a lot over the past four days it's not enough for you to have a good idea or to even propose good policy you also have to be able to market it properly to the public, especially in times like this when people do not trust politicians. Mm -hmm. And what we find oftentimes is that the way to, uh, um, to set up good legislation in a way that you can ensure it won't be passed is not to actually even stop it in Congress or stop it from being proposed. You just poison it in the minds of the general people. So Obamacare is a great example of that. If you ask folks, you know, hey, do you believe that if you already have a pre-existing condition, 
do you believe that it should be covered by your insurance if you move to a different insurance plan? They're going to say yes. But oftentimes that exact same person, if you ask them, do you support Obamacare? You, they'll say no, because they don't associate Obamacare with their pre-existing conditions being covered or with them having lower premiums or with more people having health insurance. Instead, they associate Obamacare with a bunch of lazy people who don't want to do anything, getting a bunch of free stuff and me having to pay for them to get free stuff and a bunch of people who want to be able to hold on to their money and decide for themselves how their money should be spent being forced to have to pay for insurance. So Republicans and conservatives were basically able to poison good policy in the minds of the general population. And again, this is coming from somebody who I support Medicare for all. I'm about Medicare for all. So I don't even like Obamacare all that much. But what conservatives and Republicans have been able to do as far as the, the, the messaging and the perspective on Obamacare by a large portion of the country, it's absolutely disastrous and unfortunate. It's not enough to just propose the policy. You have to be ready to actually market to the people and explain to them, this is why it helps you. And all too often, folks aren't willing to do that. And it killed the fair tax. And going back to, to Biden and why Trump has been able to win against them, there's been a lot of talk about why Latinos in Florida have turned against him in such large numbers. He, he lost them much more than Clinton did at 2016. And one of the things that has been talked about a lot is their fear of communism and that the misinformation and propaganda that has been pumped into their communities started before Obama even came into office. Before Obama, they would be pumped with Democrats are socialists, Democrats are communists. They're an exact mirror of what you experienced with Fidel Castro. Any Democrat that's coming to you that uh, attempts to say that I could do a better job in office, all he's trying to do is set you up for the exact same situation that you've run from. And it's working. Even with a, a presidential candidate as conservative as Biden, Biden is basically a Republican to me. It's only in our current climate that he's really considered a Democrat or someone who's left wing. He's basically a centrist right wing or a Republican. But even for him, they have been able to paint him as someone who's a socialist for an entire community of people to the point that, that Trump was able to take a whole state. How we're fighting this and communicating with people is going to be huge for how things happen in the next four years. It, was, it ended up watered down policy. You know, uh, we, we we don't know what true Obamacare would would have been had had they had they put it in there as it was originally uh, supposed to be. So so we don't know. But, you know, I, I think an interesting point to circle back around to the election is, you know, it, you know, I got to say, if it's the funny thing about this, this pandemic. If we did not have this pandemic, it's, I think it's become a double-edged sword for, for Trump in such a way that if we did not have this pandemic, I think Trump would have won. I, I think the fact that this pandemic happened, a lot of people were sitting with nothing to do because, because jobs were lost, you know, and, and uh, so much encouragement went into to mail-in voting and things like that. I, I, you know, I think that 
you know, I think without that, I think Trump will pull this out. I mean, I, I just didn't see uh, a lot of people didn't see Biden as a as a really a candidate. And it, it became more of a you're either for or against Trump as opposed to a uh, Trump versus Biden. You know, that's what it seemed to turn into. So without this pandemic, I, I just don't think that 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 Biden would have would have won this thing at all. I mean, luckily, as it stands now with these late votes coming in, you know, from from these mail in ballots and so many of them, you know, it's looking like he's he might pull out some some other states that we didn't think he was going to get as of, as of yesterday. I think part of the issue as well is that the Democrats, even during the pandemic, didn't do enough to distinguish themselves from Trump. It's like when we had the episode about two, maybe three weeks ago, and we were talking about the stimulus package, how it was absolutely clear across the country that people are in pain. People are being evicted. People are feeling serious impacts because of COVID. And yet still, we can't get a stimulus package from our government to help these people in these businesses. And it was crystal clear Nancy Pelosi would refuse to assist in getting a stimulus package passed because she didn't want a bunch of people getting a $600 check with Donald Trump's name at the bottom, which might be politically astute. But the fact of the matter is it comes off as incredibly callous Mm -hmm. and it, it makes it almost impossible for anybody who's looking critically at the situation to say, well, hey, there's a difference in how Trump feels about the country compared to how Democrats feel about the country. And if Democrats were in power, more would be done for the people and folks would be getting more support and we would all be better. How can you make that case when you look at how they're dealing with the pandemic and neither one seems to be interested in really actually helping the people that are feeling the pain? And to me, it just goes back again. Where is the vision? Where is the alternative vision to what the Republican Party is offering. And to me, it's so important because we're going to go through this all over again in four years, regardless of who wins. If Trump loses, he can run again in 2024. Even if he does decides not to run again in 2024, guaranteed, whoever wins the nomination is basically going to be a Trump acolyte. It's not going to be some rising star who's going to return normalcy to the party. It is Trump's party for the near future. So whoever is this next person coming up, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm not Trump or I'm not the person that Trump has chosen to lead the country next. It's got to be about I have I see the country in a completely different way. And I have a completely different vision for how we can get out of the, the issues and the situations that we're dealing with right now. And we haven't gotten to that. But that actually brings me to the next question that I wanted to ask. One of the fascinating things, like I think I mentioned before, is that Trump has done better across all demographics. So it's not like he's riding in on just a wave of white men in this election. More Latinos voted for him, more black people voted for him, more women have voted for him than did in 2016. And one of the groups that has come up a lot over the past 24 hours is black men. 
that the percentage of black men that voted for Trump in this election is significantly greater than it was in 2016 and has been increasing steadily since 2008. So I wanted to ask two of you, you know, we've got three black men on, on the um, podcast, but even though none of us are actually Trump supporters, I'm curious, do you all have any insight as to why there are so many black men who seem open to what Trump is pushing? Jason, I'll start with you. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, as, as, as a person who hasn't voted in a while, mm-hmm. when when it came up on me doing it and I actually went to go vote and I put the whole thing in for Biden, I know that, that I think it was part of one of the reasons why I just didn't vote. Because just like what you kind of explained and how you how you came about it with, and Hudson mentioned it too, just in the fact that this was just a vote to get him out. And not only did I not feel good about it, I feel like I wasted my vote. So, because it's just like you say, like when it comes to a vision or when it comes to where he's planning on going or where he's talking about taking the country. Out of all the things that I've heard, I never heard anything significant in regards to anything changing other than it kind of just kind of it almost sounded like he was just kind of pushing like, you know, hey, I'm going I'm to bring back the Obama days. We're we going to do it how we did Obama. I'm going to kind of fix that. I'm going to kind of fix Obamacare so it don't cost you that much. But I mean, at least with Trump, as 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 as. As much as it's exaggerated and most of it just seeming like kind of like nonsense in regards to what he proposes and what he does, at least he's saying something. You know what I mean? Like, not like I said, like I'm I'm enjoying any of the things he's talking about, but he's he's actively trying to encourage his voters. You clear know, vision. like he he's he's and even if it's not and and. It's saying it as clear vision, yeah, but it's clear vision for his demographic. You know what I mean? It's, it's clear vision for those that he knows he's trying to get their vote. And and I, I don't know if that's uh, good or bad. Even in that, like, he, he's, he seems like in doing that, like, he's securing the votes that he already wanted. But looking at the side of trying to get in new voters... I don't I don't know what his what his what his goal on that was, because he's kind of like saying the same things that he said back in 2016, which mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like he he didn't really try to represent any of those new people or them, 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 them four year people that to reach that age now. I think he's he was more along the lines of just kind of counting their votes because he knew their parents were going to have them come and vote for him. comes to black people. I mean, we we all have proven over the last few months or at least the last couple of years that we all aren't on the same page. And that's, that's <laughs> obviously, I mean, we, we got, we got folks and whatnot who are in totally different situations who don't understand what some people from, from the city and stuff are going through. They don't, they don't deal with that stuff. And I, I kind of equate that to like how I kind of felt like white people were kind of taking over, the the protests in regards to like the black black folks and this police brutality thing like i feel like that was totally hijacked and in that you you can have people who will literally turn turn and turn and run and run in the opposite direction you know what they got this over here it looks crazy 
Uh, at least I'm going to go over here where it looks like people are sustaining themselves. At least it looks like they're making money. You know what I mean? It's like it, 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 and all the things that he's planning on doing doesn't necessarily involve all of us, but it might involve a few folks who decide to say, you know what? Hey, I support it. He seems to reward people. Not saying that, you know, he don't know Joe Buck and whatnot from 119th or something like that, but he seems to find ways to reward his followers. Right. So mm-hmm. you, you're not getting that from Biden. If you ever watched the movie uh, Malibu's Most Wanted, where uh, Gluckman went in there with the with the thugs and and you know he he, he was like he was like uh, yeah we know who you are yeah Gluckman you down with the bitches and hoes and Terry Crews like I'm gonna vote for him <laughs> you know I mean it's one of those things where he's you know believe it or not Trump he's very charismatic and he's relatable. You know, the way he talks is relatable. And it's, I mean, I I can't tell you for weeks I've been laughing at that one thing in the debate where he he said, and I come out, no matter if we're 200 feet apart, Joe's got the biggest mask I've ever seen. And, and the way he talks, it's like you, you could, you could easily have a drink in your hand, you know, at the bar, just talking to him. It's like talking to Archie Bunker. You know, and and Archie Bunker was relatable. As racist and prejudiced as he was, you could picture yourself sitting down having a beer with that man and having a good time doing it. And you turn around, you talk racist and prejudice back to him. And y'all just both have a good time. And this is and this is what it feels like that, that a lot of people I think, you know, have have with Trump. Is is this is this just kind of just off the cuff, just say whatever you want, just like we all kind of do in private, you know, and, and it feels less like a president. And and what I think some people look for is less of a less seeming less like a politician, even though I sit and know that's farthest from the truth. <laughs> you know, he's he's turned out to be the ultimate politician. He's turned out to be able to play the game better than any of them to the point where all the Republicans who at first hated his guts have to sit there and kiss his ass, you know, because he just took a lock on everything. He turned, he played the game better than them. And, and, and one of the things he boasts about is he's only been, been in politics for four years while Biden was there for 47, you know, and, and that's the thing that, that people look at and they, they just, I don't know. I think it just sparked something in them. And and then again, it just comes down to what I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be like them. They want to be like them. Now, the last thing I'll say is we got a bunch of overly woke folk. You know, like you know, the early bird catches the worm. These folk are up before the worm, so you're really up for no reason because the worms ain't even there for you to catch. You know, that's how woke they are. <laughs> you know, so so they get woke and, and want to be like 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 uh yeah I, you know don't just guarantee your vote to the Democrats over there because you know the Republicans you know they, they got a platform <laughs> hey I don't really care how racist he is you know he he up there he wanna he wanna get all them taxes off of me taxes so are I'm why down you're with that you know <laughs> while I'm making my twenty thousand a year you know. My twenty thousand a year. I don't want to see that tax come out my twenty k. So you know, hey, 
I got to get Trump in there, you know, and it'd it be that kind of thing. I don't know, man. Honestly, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons. I don't think there's any one specific reason why why more more black men seem to go this route. But um, it's it's a it's a sad trend to see. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, a lot of things both of you said. And for me, what I keep coming back to is. I wholly feel like the Democratic Party has failed black men. I think if you look at a lot of what's going on in this country that is having a uh, damaging impact on not just black men, but black communities in general, it's the Democratic Party. Because frankly, we live more in Democratic cities than we do in red run Republican cities like Chicago, New York. LA. You know, we are populating these cities and Democrats are putting in policies that are destroying and taking our lives. And I think, I feel like as a black male, when you look at that, what reason do you have to be loyal to the Democratic Party? What reason do you have to say that somehow the Democrats are worse than Republicans? You know, that's what they do every four years here in Chicago. They say, You've got to vote for this Democrat to be mayor because, you know, it could always be worse. We could get one of these Republicans in here and then who knows what they would do. And I look around at how we are treated and the, the conditions that we are literally, literally forced to live in. And what has our loyalty really brought us? You know, but I look at that and say, but it's not like the Republicans are presenting themselves as an alternative. You know, the same way I say Biden is not providing this alternative version for Trump. Local Republicans are not providing the black community with an alternative vision for what Democrats are doing to us. They just cut these little stupid commercials with whoever is their candidate of the of the moment, walking through the neighborhood, pointing at the abandoned buildings, saying, oh, things could be so much better. Look at what Democrats are doing to you. You should vote for me. I'm a Republican. Never actually presenting real plans or a, a vision for here's how I'm going to improve the conditions where you are living because they have no intention of doing that. They care about us just as little as Democrats do. I don't understand the mindset that makes you say, well, I'm going to go vote for Trump, but I can absolutely understand the mindset that makes you say, I have no interest in voting for Biden. And if you have no interest in voting for Biden, then voting for Trump becomes a little bit easier. So again, I feel like it goes back to, we have to have candidates that are presenting a real vision and saying to people, hey, this is what the country is like right now. This is what your life is like right now. Here's how things are going to improve for you all if I am allowed to come into office. And we're not getting that now. I would argue we're not, we didn't get that in 2016. It looks like Biden is going to pull this out. I hope he pulls it out. But if if this is not figured out in four years, it's it's going to be bad. It's so, going to be absolutely devastating. So to play the uh, devil's advocate, I'm going to say the conservative thought for a moment. I, apparently, I'm known for it, and this is something I've thought about on many different occasions. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I'm thinking about the conversation that we're having, and just where my vote, my vote went. 
this year. Mm-hmm. And from from what I understand about most conservatives and how I feel like that right really works is that they they, they basically don't like helping the poor, obviously. If right. if you're in a situation you have you have the opportunity living in this country in order to get yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. And in 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 certain light, I I kind of agree with that. But I think about it on an individual scale. Only because coming from the community or just coming from or thinking about our culture and how we've done things over the years, as much as we seem to get angry a lot together, we we always fall apart when it comes time to making a decision or being together and, and having the same mindset on where we need to go. And I kind of understand why people would be kind of standoffish from wanting to be, to wanting to flip the bill for that. Like we, 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 we talk about the situations or we talk about like how communities are and they're put in that situation or like you use the word of forced to live the way that they do. Mm-hmm. I sometimes it feels like an excuse mm-hmm. only because we we've proven and people have proven on many different occasions that we don't have to live a certain way. I know when it comes to government funding or when it comes to programs and different avenues and for for people to get out of certain situations, like we, we depend on those. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if if we're talking about coming together, having active voices, having an active opinion, having our votes counted, having these people, whether Republican or Democrat, account for what we need, at some point in time, it feels like we can't stay as individuals. I feel like the black community speaks as individuals on the grand scheme because you got You got rich black folk that are voting for Trump right now because they want to keep their money, plain Mm -hmm. simple. And you got poor black folks who was like the first thing we do is we shut down the rich black folks because they not communicating to the poor black folks or trying to pull them up and make them rich black folks. It's it's, it's always seems like kind of like a messy situation. But then you look at the Latino community who uplift each other all the time. Like right. they try to put themselves in position, so they're. I mean, it's just like you said. Like, what did I? What did we just say? Like they're they're like literally like white people are basically trying to absorb the Latinos into their community because they're just as strong. Mm-hmm. Granted, they brown, but shit, they stick together. They take they take care of themselves. You don't see a lot of poor black Latino families because they work their asses off and they push. And they use every opportunity that's available to them to get themselves out of the situation that they they were in. Even if we're talking about illegal aliens who literally left shit to come here and work their asses off, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And some of them have become very successful. And that's because of other Latinos. Now, I, I like I say, I don't want to come off as just being. I'm not a Trump supporter. But I get the idea behind a conservative attitude, or at least the Republican thought behind it, is that you have an opportunity. But we feel like because we're black and because there are situations that 
don't allow for some black people to succeed. I feel like the separation in that because we have some who have, but they don't seem we don't we don't either rally around them or we we seem to kind of step away from and we're we're caught up in the the, the thought of you know I deserve something because of what happened to us 400 years ago, 300, 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like that's a mistake because there were, there are a lot of outside of white people, there were a lot of different brown and black people who who were in those situations and brought themselves out of it. Just like you have the Latino community right now who is like the strongest force in America right now, next to white people. And I don't know. I, I just think about it sometimes. Like I think we we lose focus and we we lose the pursuit of what we need to do because I believe that a lot of us are looking for that handout. I believe there are a lot of us that who who don't want to work or don't want to put in the effort because it's a little hard. It, it, it sucks sometimes. You know, we we got motherfuckers who push us down. Okay, you, you can't get that loan you want for the for the business that you want. Okay, cool. Well, it's a black bank over here that you can go to that you might not get as much money as you want, but you can get a little something to try and get you started. No, no, I, the, the white bank is racist. It's keeping me down. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not in all those situations and I haven't experienced all that because I, I'm sure there's a lot of it that, that, that will piss me off in the future, but that's not going to stop me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like we live in a country where you can make opportunities for yourself. But the question is, are you just going to make it for yourself and continue on as you go? Or are you going to try and bring people along or at least try to teach them and shove them in the right direction? And then in that same right, you trying to shove or point people in the right direction. Are they even accepting your help? Because we got a lot of pride in our community, too. We're we not going to accept no help, but you're still looking for a handout. So I, I think that's kind of like why we're in a situation where we are right now, because we, we got we got brothers and sisters who, who want to fight strong and fight against the machine. But we got a lot of other brothers and sisters who know how to fight the machine within. And I don't think we're teaching each other. I don't think we're bringing each other along for it. And so I what think you're that, talking about, what you're talking about, though, is leadership and mm-hmm. empathy. Right. And. So first and foremost, you know, I know people hate to look at things in a historical perspective, but I think we have to start there, at least briefly. Okay. We have only, let's say for the past maybe 60 years, roughly, been a country where be- being someone who became known as a person who was organizing black folks, trying actively to help black folks, empower black folks economically, we have only very recently become a country where that didn't get you killed. I mean, let's be honest. The, 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 you know, even going past slavery, when you look at Jim Crow and these thousands of black people who were lynched, yeah, some of them were lynched randomly. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were lynched because they were troublemakers because they looked at these people and said, you're organizing black folks. You're starting up businesses. You're making things better in the community. We don't want that. Let's kill them. So I think we have to honestly look at we have been held down and pushed into mediocrity and self-hatred in a way 
no other group that comes here has been. Like, yes, Latinos, they're doing a, a, a lot better and they're a lot more organized. Mm -hmm. You also don't have these decades of stories of Latino leaders being murdered for attempting to organize their people and help their people. You don't have these stories of them being you, nowhere near what we've gone through. They don't have the, not here in this country. No, okay. no. It's I, got not you. Even okay. I got you. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking about America. We're yeah. not talking about globally. We're talking about here in America. I got you. They do not have nearly that same history of if you organize a Latino community or you own a business in the Latino community, if you become a business owner and are able to employ a bunch of other Latinos, that does not get you killed. Okay. And there's never been a time in our country where on a regular basis that got you killed. Up until the 1960s, maybe 70s, being that type of person in the black community got you killed. Okay. Straight up, period. So when people try to say, like, why is it the black community doing so much better? Why aren't there so many more leaders? Why aren't we in a much better position? Historically, me personally, as frustrated as I am with where we are right now, I don't feel like there's a reason we should be in a better position. We've only been at this point that we are right now where I feel like a lot of the wounds are self-inflicted. You know, there are people who, who are still alive from that time. We're talking about the 60s. So that's number one. Okay. Then if we're looking at what we're going through right now, like we are, we have now become a people who Self-hatred is ingrained. We've talked about this many times before. We talked about it several times during the protest when you had so many people looking at kids, impoverished kids who were breaking windows downtown and saying those kids should be thrown in jail and that their lives should essentially be ruined. No empathy whatsoever to what's been happening in the black communities here in Chicago. It's You talk about... Why aren't we helping each other? Why aren't we building each other up? Why aren't we reaching out to each other? That's all a lack of empathy. They're looking at this person next to them and they don't say, I'm in a better position than you. So let me give you some of what I've learned and help make the path easier for you. Instead, they say, my path was hard. I had to work my ass off to get here. I don't see why things should be any easier for you. So you should go through the exact same thing. Which, to be frank, in these white and Latino communities that have been able to do well, is not what's happening. Like you just said, they're coming over the border with absolutely nothing, just the clothes on their back and a willingness to work. And then they are connecting with other people in the community who are willing to help them, not because they're already doing well, not because they already have money, not because they're already well-to-do. They're helping them because we are part of the same community I want my community to do well, and therefore, I'm going to extend myself to help you get to where you need to be. We don't have that in the black community. We don't have that type of empathy for each other. We don't look at that person next to us who's going through the same struggles we went through 10 years and say, brother, brother, sister, let me figure out how to make your path a little bit easier so that you can rise up much quicker than I did. Instead, it's all a bunch of individualism I got where I am. I've got millions of dollars. I want to hold on to my millions. Fuck all the rest of you. We don't have these people getting big and then reaching back to pull other people up. And so to me, it's not. Leadership is part of the issue. 
But I don't feel like leadership is the real issue. The issue is a lack of empathy and love. We don't empathize with the people in the black community who are struggling with poverty and, a, and lack of education and at least to some degree, a lack, a lack of education. We don't empathize with those people. And therefore, with those few black people who are able to reach a certain status, see no reason to have to reach down. Instead, they're taking photos with Trump and saying, hey, I want my taxes to be lower. So why not vote for him? I don't give a damn how he's talking with y'all. I got money. I don't feel associated with y'all. Mm-hmm. I don't feel close to y'all at all. And I don't care that we black. I got money. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm separate from all of you. That's not how it's working in other communities. Mm-hmm. In other communities, you know, not across all of them, not all Latinos standing all for each other, mm-hmm. but they are in general more united, especially on a local community level, helping each other, standing up for each other. That's not happening here. That's not happening here. So to me, it's not it's not really about laziness or people not taking advantage of their opportunities or people blaming the white man for everything. It's that we as a people are not supporting each other. We're, we're, we're not opening doors and paths for each other. I've been in corporate America all my life and I see it time and time and time and time again. The black people who really make it in corporate America who are also in turn willing to reach back and help mentor and bring up other black folks, few and far in between. Most of them are assimilating to get into that position. Mm -hmm. And they are afraid of being associated with too many black people, afraid that it will impact their ability to be effective and continue to rise. We're not helping each other. We're not helping each other. Hudson, did you have any thoughts? I mean, you, I mean, you can look at sports as an example, and and I, I think what we have to remember is that not not everybody's cut out to lead, not everybody's cut out to to pull people up, and I, I think we honestly, I think we do have a good amount of people that mm-hmm. that come back and try to help folks. But but here's here's the thing about it is is that is that the the problem lies in so many things that are working against us that it doesn't look like we do. See that's that's that therein lies the problem is that we're not just we're not just taking losses at at one step like I didn't get that promotion because I was black or you know I I got I got hassled by the police because I'm black. We're we're facing roadblocks in every single step right so just because you might have a wherewithal to do one part of it you might get blocked in something else for example i might have a mind to to own a business and i might in my head i might be a good businessman if i get to get that business but i don't have the wherewithal to keep fighting every single step of the way to try to get that loan and to try to persevere in that way so hence i don't own the business you know, we 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 think about it in terms of, of a football team, right? Now, people want to talk about how much these players get, get paid, right? But if you think about it, these players are at the ground level of, of a business, of a corporation. They're, they're the ground level employees, the players that are on the field or on the court, right? Entry level. That's what they are. We don't like to think of it that way because a lot of them get paid millions on top of millions. 
but they're entry level. And and they're the and they're the ones just like in a warehouse. They're the ones that actually right. do the work out there, right? And then if you think about, let's take football for for example. Think about who the supervisor is or or the manager is on the field. That'd be your quarterback, right? Now think of how good a black man has to be to be the quarterback in an NFL team versus how good a white man has to be to be an NFL quarterback, right? Think about how that is. You got Patrick Mahomes, who's, who's a person of color. You got Lamar Jackson, right? Think, think, think of how good they are, right? And then we got <laughs> Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, right? I mean, I mean, think you, you got to think about how, how good we got to be just to get to that next step. Just to get to that next step. Now, think about coaches. You know, think about coaches and, and how many black coaches we honestly end up having. Think of how good Mike Tomlin. Think of how how good how how much success he had. Think of think of when 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 Levy Smith, you know, had a had a bad season and started having some bad season, mainly in my opinion, because he mm. just offensively we could never give him the personnel. But I think he did great with what he had. But think of how quick, you know, we're, we're ready to just they were ready to just dismiss him. And now now was he teaching? Now he's coaching at, at back at college level now. Right. How much of a chance did he get? You know, so so we got to think of all the, you know, it, I, I love to think that everyone has an opportunity. And you're right. Everyone does have an opportunity. But we got to remember how hard it is when every step of the way you have to fight and and just and, and the problems are compounded for us because we're already starting at a disadvantage so it's compounded for us whereas for for a white person you know they don't have to face those same obstacles so a less motivated white person could do more in in less time than we could ever do right and and you you have to be motivated in multiple different areas in order to get to that same spot. And and while I might be business minded, I might not be motivated to continue fighting. You know, fighting in order to own a business. I might have a natural aptitude for owning a business, but all that fighting, I'm like, man, is it not even worth it? And I don't even know, it, honestly, I don't even know what the other side has to do because I, I'm just not there. You know, I'm not there with it. I don't know, I don't have the connections. So, so we got to think about it in that perspective. Like, hey, you know, we're every every single thing, every step we take, where people are trying to push us back two steps, and that's a difficult thing to overcome and, and very difficult to insurmount. Now, I'll mention one other thing, and it's about handouts, right? On on the tip of handouts, you know, I think it goes in people's minds. Uh, I, I want to be clear on on these handouts that people get. You know, I honestly want to know how much do people think these folk are getting? You know, one of the things I hear is is women who have who've had five kids and just now getting a check from the state. How much do you think they're getting? These women are not living in five bedroom houses 
off the hills, you know, and, and got the finest liquors and the and the and a, and, a, and a big and a big goofy fountain in the middle of their doorway. And what what do people think they're getting that makes them think that they're living so right. lavishly and having lobster every day? You know, they're not. They're they're living. They are scraping by. Trust me when I tell you that, because I've seen many of them. So this handout. It's not, it's not easy, you know, and to have to raise five kids on top of it, you know, where, where do we expect them to work? You know, I mean, has anybody seen what daycare costs? Because we'll try and get it for five kids. You know, granted, some of them might be in school, but you get what I'm saying. It's not, a, it's not an easy task. So, and, and let's not forget as far as women goes, let's not forget as far as women goes, they don't get the same economic opportunity that men get. They just don't. You know, we we have to just throw that out there. And and sometimes even because a woman is pregnant, she don't get opportunities that men get. Women are scared to tell their employers that they're pregnant. In this country in 2020, they are scared. Blackish did an episode about it. They can't get promotions because they they mm. their their employer knows they're going to have to take time off. So that just pauses everything for them. So we got to remember all these roadblocks. And, but mind and you, kind of give each other a break. Keeping everything in mind that both my, uh, myself and Hudson have said, that is not to discount <laughs> that some aspects of what's going on in our black communities and black culture in general is deeply fucked up. And seems like a lot of times we're our own worst enemy. We are holding up ourselves back. So I'm not trying to say you're wrong when no. you say that. You know? In the grand scheme, everything that you said off top some more when I went in line with what I was talking about. Like just the fact that we have people who don't reach back and we don't have that we have people who have succeeded who don't pull each other pull, pull us all up together or whatever the case may be. And, and Hudson, when you when you're talking about um uh, you you mentioned uh, uh, like the handouts and stuff like that. I never in my mind, like I say, I I come from a house or whatever where we had to get them, we had to get the stamps and stuff like that. Like my father passed and stuff, things got hard, and it was just my mother who was working, so she had to get it. Hell, I had to go on the platform just so I could take some pressure off of her. So I didn't been there, I, and I know I'm not talking about the handouts or what I when it comes to the government spending and getting some food stamps and stuff like that. Never that I. I know them folks are living that highlight. Work. I'm talking about that mother of five. Did you really have to have five? <laughs> this is my thing. Like, like I say, this is my conservative side of cutting out. Like, I get it. I know, I know, I know child care stuff is hard, but you probably should have thought about that after the first or the second kid. In the grand scheme, especially when it was with the fourth or the fifth damn father. Mm-hmm. So my my thing is sometimes in that. There is some personal responsibility involved, and it, and I'm and I'm not saying it to discredit anything that either one of y'all is saying. My sister has six kids. My sister has six, <laughs> and she started when she was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And thanks to her, I didn't have none until I was 27. Hey, you know I, I hate to interrupt. Hey, thank, uh, I, you know, I want to just throw this in. Yo, yo, while your conservative side might say, hey, you should have thought that before you had all them kids, your conservative side also <laughs> said, don't get no abortion. So uh, I just want to throw that out. 
Well, first and foremost, I ain't saying nothing about abortion. You brought that up. I'm not even on the subject of it. My thing, you ain't got to have an abortion if you don't get knocked up. That's my whole thing. We we ain't even got to have the discussion about abortions. If maybe I shouldn't fuck this nigga shit that I just met three days ago off the corner, off the trap. I'm already struggling as it is. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes there's a personal decision in some things that y'all do, or some things that people do, that you're going to have to reap the consequences of it. You decide you're going to have five kids. Guess what? Kids cost money. And <laughs> we're gabbing, why aren't people using condoms? I have no clue because they all over the damn place. <laughs> Shit. Nobody, don't nobody, nobody like slipping on them jimmies no more for some reason. I really don't know. And they, mm-hmm. and they, and they all want to have babies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up in the 90s, folks was having abortions like it wasn't nothing. They wouldn't put Jimmy's on there neither, and I didn't understand it then. But the whole fact of the matter is, is now you got these five. And they, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm empathetic to it, but the fact is, is you made that choice. Mm-hmm. Didn't nobody put them babies in you except the nigga you lit do it. So I get it, and, and, and all I'm saying, and, and and it's not to refute, and it's not to, to try to discredit anything y'all are saying because everything I'm talking about with this conservative thought that I'm having. Uh, all this stuff in lines with it. And it's like, at some point in time, when do we make the decision to do better for ourselves? Samora, we you said it on several different occasions that our votes count and to put the pressure on these people and to do, whether it's a Republican in office or whatever the case may be, we should all be coming together trying to figure out how to make shit better for ourselves, no matter who's in it. That's what Ice Cube went and did. Right. He didn't give a fuck who was going to be in there. We got to work with whoever's going to be. Oh, hell, this motherfucker fuck around and pull out these next couple of votes and whatnot, and he become president again. What are we going to do? Sit back and call him a racist for the next four years like we did for the last four? Mm-mm. Or are we going to fuck around and figure out how to get the shit that we need and what we want? So, I mean, it's... I, I... Well, you know, here's the thing, though. I mean, here's the thing, though. It, it's, and, and I keep coming back to it's... Just like there's 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 black women who who've had multiple kids and and don't have the means. There's also white women who've had multiple kids and don't have the means. Just like there's there's black people who don't pull who don't who don't pull people up and help people. There's white people who don't pull people up and help people. You know, I I honestly I don't I think if we could pull the percentages, if we could honestly get some data and pull the percentages on this. I wouldn't think the percentages are that off, right? Well, again, what it comes down to is that we just got multiple foots on our neck that <laughs> that, that others don't have. So, so when I think about this, I think we, I think we're we, it, I think we got to concentrate on the people who do want to. I think we do too much in concentrating on those and and buying into this whole thing of. Just like uh, white people are constantly trying to tell us, well, y'all y'all shouldn't be killing each other. Y'all shouldn't be doing this. Y'all shouldn't be uh, selling them drill. Y'all shouldn't be, you know, I could turn around and say the same thing about white people, right? But they're, they're not harping on that like we do. We seem to harp on ourselves so much and try to come back on ourselves so much. We got people who want to do good in the community, and hey, let's let's get with those people and try to do good in the community. But we gotta realize that we 
our our issues, yes, just like issues that other people, other races have. We just have to go and just like they have to do, we got to work with what we got just like they do. But see, what I keep coming back to is, is the, the thing is, we got the multiple foots on our neck that they don't, right? Which makes every issue that we have compounded. But to, but to I, I think, expect that our percentages are going to somehow raise, you know, you know, white people aren't going aren't gonna to listen to us, it seems, no matter what, until we just have zero black on black crime, right? You know, every time every time we say something, well, y'all need to worry about that black on black crime. I don't say that when when it's something that white people want. I don't go up there, but y'all need to stop that white on white crime. I could, I certainly could. There's plenty of stats of white on white crime. You know, why don't I say that to them, and why don't they they say that amongst themselves? They don't. Now, on a neighborhood-to-neighborhood basis, they might say, hey, as a neighborhood, we need to try to bring our crime down. And, but we do the same thing here in some of our neighborhoods. We got a neighborhood right here, the one I'm living in. If something goes down in our neighborhood, yes, as a neighborhood, we talk to each other and we say, well, hey, we got to do something about it. And we got to watch a little extra if somebody got their house or car broken into. We're constantly knocking on each other's door. Hey, I saw somebody hanging out by your car. So, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things that we got to watch out where we're buying into that narrative that white people are always trying to sell us, which is before we can ask for equality, we got to straighten out this these huge in-house problems we got. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't work on them, but uh, but I am saying is that, hey, you know, I, I, I still think the bigger problem, and it will always be the bigger problem as long as it is, is the foots on our neck because it makes every problem that we have 10 times worse if we don't get that foot off your neck. I I can't cook dinner if I got a foot on my neck while I'm cooking dinner. It makes cooking dinner harder. Now, if I get that foot off my neck, then I could be Martha fucking Stewart up there. Excuse my French, right? (laughs) So... While Martha Stewart don't have to worry about the foot on her neck while she cooking, I do. Well, the only thing, the right. only thing in that analogy—that's all I'm, I'm saying. I understand it, but, and I think I've said it before. I'm tired of asking them to take the foot off my neck. I'm, I'm tired of us all collectively saying, "Could you please take this foot off my neck?" When we gonna force that motherfucker off us? When we gonna whoop his ass? And when we gonna fuck around and, and do the shit ourselves? I understand we got the obstacles, but we have we have the strength and we have the know-how to fight through it together if we did it together. So I think I think we're actually approaching for the first time an era where that might be possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's even though I know you feel like white people have pretty much taken over the protest, I think on some level that's what you're seeing with Antifa out in the streets, mm. where you see you see multiple videos of literally these white supremacists coming together, marching in the streets, attempting to take over these areas, and then these large gangs of mostly white people, some black people in there, but mostly white people who are <laughs> saying, "Get the fuck off our block! <laughs> this mm. is not this is not what we believe in at all." And what you're also seeing is this wave of hardcore extreme left-wing candidates who are coming in and saying, essentially, we could care less what Republicans want to do. 
We could care less what the right wing wants to see happen. We're not moderates. We're not interested in trying to figure out how to work with them to make these things happen. We want this list of, of legislation passed, period. This is what we feel like should be happening in the country. And as far as we're concerned, we should be doing whatever it takes to make that happen. And so you're seeing a much more aggressive upfront. We are not the same. Let's stop pretending that we are the same. You don't want what I want. Why should I pretend otherwise type of movement happening right now in this country? That's pretty much what's happening with the protest. And honestly, it adds, it brings me to a, a, another question I wanted to ask. I, I've seen a, a, a lot of people online, of course, talking about what do the Democrats need to do to hopefully win again in 2024. <clears throat> and a lot of people feel like folks like Biden, Nancy Pelosi, the centrist root of the Democratic Party need to figure out a way to cut themselves off from that left wing, from the people like Bernie Sanders, AOC, et cetera, et cetera, because being associated with them is causing them to be basically associated with socialism and making it easier for Republicans to paint them as socialists and, you know, make the overall party look bad. And so there's a question of what is really the future? Take a hardcore harsh route and say, we are different from Republicans. We are different from right wing people and from these Trump supporters. And we're just going to have to figure out how to fight against them to get the things passed that we want or cut off the people on the left wing who are more socialist, who are more left wing and find a way to try to reach out more to people who are on the conservative side of the aisle to create a more a more moderate party that will still be able to win and take control. You know, do you all have any thoughts on that? Hudson, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think we don't do enough ground level, you know, and, and really work ourselves into. Uh, I think we depend too much on, on home run swing, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I I, you know, I, I like the fact that a couple of our uh, more more left wing uh, uh, people won their reelections this time around, which which I thought was was fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think I said a few weeks back there there's a shift coming, and and I, I see within the next decade that that you know a, a another it's like two more parties are forming. You know, even though even though it looks like the the Republicans might end up trying to just shift farther and farther and just stay farther right and and keep it as one, whereas it looks like the Democrats are about ready to split, and um, you know that that's going to be a tough deal. It's going to be a tough deal, but I think it's necessary. Um, I, I think if if they're going to continue to go farther right. I mean, we need something to balance that out. Uh, but at the end of the day, we we still need people that so, somehow we still. Th this is where I think Obama failed. This is where I think Trump failed. You know, and, and to me, this is their their biggest failure collectively. This was their biggest failure is that they were not able to bring people together. You know, at some point, that's 
That's the president's job, in my opinion. You know, forget all the rest of the shit that they say the president's supposed to do. To me, the president's supposed to bring all these politicians together across aisles to pass legislation for the constituents in this country. That is what, that is to me, the number one job of a president. And I think both failed, you know, uh, and, and I think Trump, you know, it, I think Trump not only failed it, but he seemed to try to fail it. He seemed to light a match on that bridge, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see when, if the election is final and it's a Biden win. It's going to be interesting to see what he does in these last days to continue to burn that bridge completely to the ground and, and take away all the foundation, you know? Um, but we, what we've seen now uh, where these, where these parties are just going to stand fast and we get no stimulus package. We, we get nothing. Mm -hmm. The American people are suffering on this. So, you know, I, I think we, we need a more grassroots ground level thing building up to start with. A, a better base, a better foundation for these more left wing. Because right now they're they're, they're going to get isolated, and it's going to be a tougher road where they where they seem to be starting, in my opinion, versus where they Jason. need to start. <laughs> not even great. answer your question. <laughs> hey, but it was good information, regardless. <laughs> Jason, how about you? How do you feel? Well, I'm I'm not the pilot. I'm not the political dude of this group. I, I'm pretty sure everybody who listens to us has figured it out. So I'll just say, personally, I just think a lot of motherfuckers just going to have to die. <laughs> just, and I'm not talking about no civil war or nothing like that. I'm talking about these old, rich people are going to have to die. <laughs> and that's on the Republican and that's on the Democratic side. These folks, like I said, like on the Democratic side, I really feel like this Biden and this, this Obama thing and whatnot was, I think this was the last ditch effort to try and get the the old regime of what the D Democratic Party was or is to just kind of hold on, like, hey, let, let, let us roll for a little bit. We'll give y'all y'all time in the next four years. We'll, we'll try and figure out a way to bring back down this socialism thing and try and make people not scared of us and stuff like that. I, that's how I really feel like that's how that conversation went in with Obama and Bernie because Bernie ain't going right. to probably, I'm pretty sure Bernie not going to be around that much longer. So him being the candidate, when it, again, at some point in time, I think it's pretty much out the door. But mm -hmm. at some point in time, youth is going to have to take over the politics. The, the conservatives, these old motherfuckers is holding on. I, don't, I, I guess that's what money do, keep you alive for a while. Maybe they got a bunch mm -hmm. of hyperbolic chambers or something that they all sleep in or they all got coffins. With fucking dirt from fucking, <laughs> <laughs> they, they got Dracula dirt. They sleep in. They keep them alive longer. Some shit like that. That's the only thing I, that explains how Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham keep ending up in the goddamn Senate or in the House or wherever the fuck they are. These motherfuckers and shit. They just don't die. Conservatives don't die. They just they just stay around and they keep their old shit. And all the old people who 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 follow them and shit either die and leave their money to their kids. And tell their asses the only way you get to keep that money is if you keep doing shit the way I used to do things. Mm -hmm. At some point in time, the youth is going to have to arise. And I really feel like, and, and this is something I was thinking about. Like, I, I I know we talk about moderates and stuff like that, but I'm 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 somebody who feels like at some point in time, you're going to have to have someone 
who can reach down the middle of the aisle and make both sides happy. Or at least to the point where they can they can acknowledge, say, okay, cool. We could deal with that for a little bit. So let's 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 stop arguing so much and let's do that. And I think the only way you're gonna be able to do that is you're gonna have to you're going to have to when it comes to the rich folks, when it comes to that one percent, you're going to have to find a way to tell them, you know what, hey, we're not gonna take all your money, but you have to offer up a little bit more than what you've been doing lately in order to take pressure off of these people who have been handling the load for the longest time. We, we have to take some of this pressure off of them. And it's not going to, you can't have these promises. Hey, mid, you, you folks in the middle class, we're going to take all the taxes away from you because that's bullshit. It's not going to fucking happen. Number one, you're not middle class, all right? You're basically poor. It really, it really ain't no fucking middle class. It's poor, you're fucking rich in the grand scheme of it all. So for them folks who's on the bottom half of the rich and whatnot, you go out there, hey, look, we're not going to take all your money, but we got to get a little bit. Rich folks, we we not going to take all your money. Some Somebody has to be able to just at least have this. At least if it's not a, a 80-20 split, why don't you fuck around and negotiate 60, 60-40? That, I'm pretty sure most folks who went on the rich side and the middle in the middle ground side and whatnot would be able to agree on something like that. And you're fucking dividing it up, you. And I and I think back to that Bush era, them eight years where they just got so fucking greedy. They got so goddamn greedy. These old fuckers got so goddamn greedy. And Bush went in there and put money in all their fucking pockets and took it away from everybody else when they lost their homes and everything else. Since Bush and them eight years that he had, these motherfucking conservatives have gone crazy. They've lost their minds. They still had that greed. And that's another, I think Donald Trump just, he just personified what they felt. They wanted to go back to them greedy ass ways. And I think that was the eight years that actually just kind of determined how the Republican Party was going to be for a while. They just got fucking greedy. We want to be greedy as fuck. We want all the money. We want y'all poor motherfuckers to pay for everything. And we want to keep stacking our bread. And somebody's going to have to bring them down. Like, look, hey, hey, calm down. You had you got a lot of fucking money in them eight years. You got a lot. You got a great deal. Even when Obama came in eight years later and whatnot, he didn't take that much from you. He really didn't in the grand scheme of it all. He hit y'all over the head like he could have, but he didn't. So you if you if you can't find a way to just kind of walk down the middle and try and get these people to either calm down or kind of take the load, I think we're gonna be stuck in a spot and, and then with this 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 socialism or the the social Democrats or whatever it's going to be. Mm. I think it's going to be a real hard sale for a long so, time. So I don't know. It, it's interesting when, when it comes to how do you get these rich people to essentially sign on to having to pay more taxes? Mm. I really feel like it comes down to, they have to feel like there's no other choice. They have to feel like that it's going to cost them more money to resist what's happening than it would to go ahead and do what's being asked of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, Who's the, the the Chicago activist, Green, I think his last name was, the one who's been protesting at the different Chase banks. And then Chase finally made that announcement. Is they're going to fork over a bunch of money mm-hmm. and try to repair some of the damage. I, I know essentially it's, it's paltry and that it might easily be replaced by the money they get from the government to help with COVID. But at the end of the day, they identified, okay, he's literally shutting down our branches. 
there's no end in sight. We don't have a real way to stop him. So we need to find a way to cut into his message and try to make it seem like, hey, we are dealing with the problem. What is what is his beef? You know, I, I, I think we've reached a point where they understand they have all the power that they don't have to give up their money. And so if you don't have to, you know, there's no reason for you to be amicable about the situation. I don't think I have to be amicable with you about with you about how much of my money I have to give up. If there's any way for me to be able to keep all of it. I'm going to keep all of it. So it has to be somebody who's willing to drop that hammer. And the problem is that the, the folks who are more moderate or willing to reach across that aisle, shake hands and try to work out a more amicable agreement are also the same people who are not willing to drop that hammer on these folks. And what I find fascinating about this debate about whether or not we should be taking this more moderate route or embracing a more hardcore left-wing philosophy is that when you look at the elections that, that have already been called in the Senate and the House, all these moderate, centrist, halfway Republican Democrats that they put up against these vulnerable Republican Senate candidates who were supposedly going to help bring in this blue wave and take over the Senate and give Biden all the power he needed to be enact the change we want to see with over the next four years, all of them lost. All of them lost. What What's her name from Maine still in there, as vulnerable as she is, as awful as she is? Senator after senator after senator after senator, who all the polls showed losing, who everybody said this guy is clearly weak. Lindsey Graham was on Fox News night after night, mm -hmm. basically begging for money basically begging people, telling them, hey, these folks are going to get me out of here. They're going to destroy me. You've got to come help me. He was literally on the news begging for money. Still won. Still won. So it's like, so, but when you look at the hardcore left-wing progressive, these people basically shouting Medicare for all, socialism, all of that, 85% of them won. All of the squad AOC, Ilhan Omar, all these people who supposedly their socialist uh, mindset is what's destroying the party. And we've got to figure out how to cut these people off because they're going to bring us down and make it impossible for us to win. They are winning their elections by a landslide. AOC's election was not close. Ilhan Omar's election was not close. None of these people's elections are close. So to me, it's like the, my issue is when I look at the Republican Party and the way they deal with their fringe, the right wing completely embraces their fringe for, to the detriment of all of us. Oh, you believe um, uh, uh, abortion should happen even in the cases of rape? You believe that racism doesn't exist? You believe that diversity training shouldn't exist? You believe that the government is... Coming to come all your, to take all your guns? Come on, you're psycho, but I need your vote. So <laughs> let's take this photo together. Like the Republican Party loves their friends, loves their base, and ropes all these people together to try to do what they got to do to win. Whereas the Democrats, you've got these centrist, rich people who are essentially Republicans at the top of this Democratic Party, and they look at the candidates that are essentially fighting for the poor and it disgusts them and they say 
We need to figure out a way to destroy these people. Stop these people. AOC last month had the biggest get out the vote event that has happened in this country ever. Ever. On Twitch, 700,000 people watched live. 5 million people, and it's probably more by now, watched on YouTube. Like, absolutely massive. For a simple get out the vote, let's sit together and play video games on Twitch type of moment. And it's like, how do you not see that and say, okay, we have to figure out how to take advantage of this demographic that is being reached, pull it into the party, and get the things passed that we want to see done. It's just not happening. And I don't... I don't. <laughs> you might be right, man. Tell you, the old motherfuckers. <laughs> you daddy. might be right. The motherfuckers got to die. They got to. They, they got to fuck around. They got to start cutting off the electricity to them hyperbolic chambers. They got. They gonna have to hide them or something. <laughs> they gonna have to do something, Jack. These motherfuckers still alive. Problem is, they replace them. Problem is, yep. they just replace them with more old motherfuckers. I mean, you know, it, and as much as I like. As much as I like uh, AOC, eventually one day, and we don't want to think of it that way, she's going to get old. And right. she's probably going to be in that Senate or that House. And, and she's going to turn right. into a more moderate, more right. conservative liberal. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we, what, what we don't seem to understand is that, that people change. Now you got you got your 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 Bernies who kind of stay you know a little bit more, but mm. you know that's not that's rare, that's rare, you know. And in fact, I, in fact, I give it to Bernie who 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 seemed to really kind of be groundbreaking among among politicians who really used right. social media, who really used you know the 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 tools of the young people today, you know and and. And so, so when I think about it, is is that we have to we have to think about how how long it takes for usually for people to get to those ranks of Senate mm-hmm. and House, and then how long they stay there. You know, they they get in there with old people, and they get there and they stay there until they're old, <laughs> and then they become they the old people. people all day long. I'm old now. You know, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, time passes so slowly for them in that chamber, and then in the hyperbolic chamber, and then and then they come out with conservative ideas. You know, is it I was doing forty years ago work? Why wouldn't it work now? Well, because it was forty years ago. You know, we we don't do good in choosing people who understand that yeah, they have to be in a constant state of change. So I have one last question then about the election. So as it stands now, here, let me let me check this again. So we're still at Joe Biden 264, Donald Trump 214. And Joe Biden has won 72 million votes, which is actually a, a record, I believe. It's the most votes that a candidate has ever received in a United States presidential election. However, there seems to be a real divide about... Um, the quality of this performance and whether or not, you know, this is, we should be happy about this and this is the kind of performance we expected, or if Biden has underperformed considering the situation that he was placed into and how vulnerable most of us feel Donald Trump should be. 
So I want to get you all's perspective. When you look at the way this election is shaking out, if, you know, as it seems to be what's going to happen, if Biden comes out with the win, do you see this as a strong performance from Biden where he did what we needed to do and you feel good about it and, hey, let's move forward? Or do you feel like Biden kind of screwed this up and he took a situation that was absolutely perfect and somehow made it still made this a nail biter and you're you're disappointed overall and how it's turned out. Hudson, I'll start with you. You know, I, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know with regards to what to think. You know, it, it, it's a it's just a tough one to call. Um, you know, I, I think just like just like, you know, a lot of people just don't go out and vote on the on the Democrat side. I think a, a lot of people just don't go out and vote on the Republican side, too. But, you know, what what's concerning for me is that almost the same amount of people extra that that came up to vote this election is happened on both sides. And so, I mean, again, it, it's it's just concerning to me that we have to really place into place into perspective that that we just got so many people who are who are on the the to me the wrong side of issues that are going on in this country. Um, combine that, you know, it's people who keep sticking their heads in the sand on what's going on in this country. So I, I mean, I don't know if it's I. You know, I, I am going to say, you know, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say that, no, I don't, I don't think Biden uh, lived up to his full potential on this campaign. I think he could have did more. I, I, I think his I, I, def, I think his team, whoever it was, I think he should he should fire them and get a new team for four years from now. If he plans on winning reelection, I, I think he has to seriously look at it because. From what I can see, uh, you know, Trump was was planning for this, you know, the whole time. You know, he tried hard to pull Nevada last last election, and he and and sure enough, this time he, he was trying hard to pull it again, and we see why. I mean, Nevada with its six little electoral votes was key, right? Uh, you know, he, he saw that he needed to try hard to pull in Omaha because that one electoral vote that Biden got was key. Because without that one vote, Biden would still need Nevada and something else <laughs> because of that one vote. I mean, it, it's, it just looks like that, that, like I said, Trump knows how to play the game. And he knows, he knows how to win with these shifting demographics you know, and and to and to he's he's almost squeaked out victory here. He's almost squeaked it out. No matter what the end of the election results say, uh, you know, you can look at each state and then you can look at how close he actually came here, and it's remarkable to me. It's remarkable, remarkable. So I think it's a combination of of Biden not doing all he could, and I think that's going to hurt us next election. And I think it, it's a combination of just Trump was really good at what he do, you know, with regards to that. He's definitely not good at pandemic response. But campaigning <laughs> and elections and conning people in the voting <laughs> form, I think he's he's done an excellent <laughs> job at that. Feel? 
<laughs> yep. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I don't have a duck in the race. I really don't. This this whole thing feels like a clusterfuck to me. Uh, did Biden do everything he could have? I I believe he missed an opportunity to come out and just be something different other than kind of just being the, the, the guy he was when he was the VP. Uh, I guess that's kind of like the the backslide when it comes to being the vice president of one of the most popular presidents and whatever. But I don't know. I, I think he, he had an opportunity to come out and kind of state what he would do now with the pandemic and everything else going on. I mean, I guess it was, it's, it's easy enough to try and punch Trump in his nuts and whatnot with the whole pandemic thing, but Trump has proven that he don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. So, Two hundred motherfuckers to die. Shit, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell him that shit. He, we 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 rounded the corner, baby. We good. I had it. <laughs> I had Corona and shit to it. So, mm-hmm. like, kind of trying to go at him in regards to what his record has been and everything else. And Hudson said this on many different occasions. Like, you can try and call a liar a liar, but shit. But if the liar believes his own lies and shit, you can't even fuck around and fuck with him on that in the grand scheme. So to try and point out some of his deficiencies and everything else, really, I really feel like it fell short because I, I don't even, I don't even, I can't even like think of it in regards like, well, he had some good points on that and he had some good points on that. I don't. I I haven't heard Biden say anything significant, or even something that would be you know rousing. Like, ooh, that's what he planned on doing. Oh, that's gonna be interesting. I said the the most activity that you heard about his camp and shit came from Trump telling you what he was gonna do to fuck up the fucking country. Right. And Trump being a motherfucker, he is. I mean, Trump is Trump. I mean, shit. I didn't expect anything less than what he's done. You know, for the last four years. And I and I tell you like this, I was the first one to tell my wife. My wife was like, "What happened if Hillary lose?" Like, yeah, right. Go lose the fucking Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> when that boy came out president back in 2016, that shit blew me away. And now I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, shit. I, I honestly, I I don't expect him not to be president for the next four years, just because of who he is, because of what he what he represents. And because of what he's aroused in this country, I believe it was Gavin said, uh, like, like, like I said that before, like, you know, his supporters were the quiet ones and stuff. And they were like, no, they were active and stuff. But now they're just they're empowered. If anything else, they they shit, they can come out here and they can talk shit all day long and they don't give a fuck if they lose their jobs, or anything else like that. It, there's there's no quieting the storm. You've awakened what this country is and what the people are in it. And I mean, shit, I, if anything or whatnot, I I find it impressive that somebody was able to do something like that. Now, did I expect Joe Biden to come and I don't know, awaken something in the left side? I, all these woke ass people and shit, they already awake apparently. So I, I don't I don't know how you rouse them other than giving them the what they want. And I don't only thing I see that they wanted on the left side was Trump out. And there was nothing else to really go along with it. So I find this whole thing very underwhelming on both sides. So um for me, 
I think Biden had, did the best he could with the tools he has available to him at this point in his life. Like it's clear, crystal clear, he's not the same guy that he was even, you know, in 2015, 2014. Like it's crystal clear. His health is fading. His cognitive ability is fading. And you could compare speeches even now to during the Obama era. He's not the same guy. And so it felt like during the campaign, there were long stretches where they essentially hid Biden, you know, where they didn't even have him come out to speak, especially during COVID. You know, to me, and if it's a presidential election, you should be in front of a camera every damn day <laughs> telling anybody who will listen, this is being mismanaged. These people are being abused. They need help. Where's the president? Why is the president doing more? That it should be, you should be out there like clockwork. And I never felt that way about Biden. You know, it was really his surrogate out there hammering home that message. And then he would just pop up every so often. So from, from that standpoint and considering that situation, I feel like, hey, this is probably the best that they could do. I still hold that it was deeply unfortunate that the party essentially came together the way it did to essentially hand Biden the nomination mm. and not allow a natural process to, to un unfurl that would just show who do the people want to be their candidate? We never really saw that. We, we never really had that opportunity. And so that to me makes this a repeat of 2016. Now it looks like hopefully, unlike in 2016, the Democrats are going to actually be able to beat Trump. But I, I think, I, I hope that the party has come to the conclusion that you can't just handpick a candidate and, and put it in front of people anymore and expect that they're just going to come out and support them. Like, that only works to a certain degree. You, you, ha you have to let the people tell you, this is our guy or this is our woman. This is who we want. This is who we'll back. And then the party coalesce around that person. It seems like, like you were talking about, Jason, we've got the, the, these old rich people who want to feel like they control everything. And so they want to, you know, be able to pull certain levers and say, okay, this is who all of you will vote for. It's been work. It's worked in the past. They were able to make it work in the past. It seems like we've just about come to the end of that being something that can work. Even with everything that has happened and how badly Trump has botched his term, the Democrats still almost lost. You can absolutely make a case that they almost lost this election. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. And this is not, this is not about Bernie. You know, saying maybe Elizabeth Warren would have come out on top. Maybe it would have been somebody else. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the people have to choose. The party has to stop trying to choose who the people can vote for. It's not working. Let the process play out and find out who the people are excited to support and stop trying to handpick who's put in front of them. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Uh, 
Could you imagine how much fire would have been on that stage if it was Sanders versus Trump on debate? Exactly. Woo, that would have been now. a debate for your ass right there. And and look, I think here's where I think Biden missed his big his biggest golden opportunity, right? And this this is gonna sound silly to y'all, but those Biden Obama memes where where, where Obama's constantly telling him to shut up, Joe. Just shut up. You know, those memes Mm -hmm. were so popular during Obama administration, he should have used those. He could have used those to introduce policy he was trying to do. He could have used those to to do his little attacks on on things Trump was doing and have it be in a fun way and get those and and get that support moving in multiple different directions. I'm, in fact, surprised that his campaign didn't even think of it because you talk about the long stretches that he wasn't in front of the camera. Right. These are things that he could have used to help that out. So, you know, I was very surprised that I didn't see a lot more of those meetings going around. That too. Uh, That's probably part of it. But (laughs) um, there's been a lot of reports that, even though they're still relatively on good terms, there was a lot of damage done to their relationship because Obama was against Biden running. Obama made it clear that Biden really needed to step back and let it go. And Biden chose to run anyway. And then when his campaign got into trouble and it looked like he was going to win, then he's basically begging Obama, yo, come in, swoop in and save me. You know, so I say all that to say, I know, you know, chemistry is something you can't fake. Either I've got chemistry with somebody and I've got real, you know, um, even when we just mesh well or we don't, you know, if their relationship is damaged and they don't feel the same way about each other that they did when Obama was in office, it's going to show in those videos that you're talking about. You know, I'm not sure if they're even capable of recreating those type of moments that they had during the the election. Because part of the reason those memes were so powerful is because the the, the mutual respect and care and friendship between the the two of them was so clearly on display. I don't know if it's clearly on display anymore, to be honest with you. So, So, yeah, but hopefully soon um tomorrow at the latest i'm hoping we will finally have an answer about who will be our next president of the united states i hope that it's biden i know both of you do as well and a lot of our listeners do so all we can do is just sit back and wait for the results moving on to our next topic did y'all see what oregon passed what did y'all see what Oregon passed? They they passed that it's no longer a criminal offense to hold. Oh, that's a, right. A, that's a right. Little, I, uh, I forgot about that. On you. Just little, overall, last yeah. night it was an amazing night for people <laughs> who are are proponents of criminal justice reform and changing the way this country deals with um, with drugs in general. Like there were multiple states that either passed marijuana legalization 
or elected candidates who have already made it clear they support marijuana legalization. Mm -hmm. So it was absolutely amazing. But yeah, or Oregon has basically made it. They have said that they've come forward and done what <laughs> I've been asking repeatedly for. And so I have a whole bunch of other people. Stop making the war on drugs about arresting folks and imprisonment. It's a mental health issue. Treat it like a mental health issue. Stop locking people up because they're addicted to drugs. This country understands that when it comes to opium, when it comes to opium and all these white folks who are hooked on pills, they're not going out, busting down their doors, arresting these people, throwing them on the floor. The shit isn't happening because there's an immediate understanding of, hey, that doesn't help the situation. That doesn't that doesn't lessen how much people are addicted to these drugs. We need to be treating this as a health crisis and actually help these folks. And it seems like across the country, we're seeing states that are deciding they, they should be applying that same standard to black people who are addicted to heroin, cocaine, and, and drugs like that. So I'm very appreciative of seeing that. And it makes me hopeful for the future, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing it up. I completely forgot about it. Just a little cocaine. You know, you know what I'm scared of? You know what I'm scared of? You know, you know how them uh you know how them stores they they ever since the airports started saying, Hey, you know, you, you can't you can't have uh bigger than this size bottle of shampoo and, and how stores started Making those size bottles. Now I'm scared that drug dealers are going to <laughs> going to have travel size. Okay, <laughs> this is this is legal for you to carry. So <laughs> I'm gonna sell you that and have, and have nice sales, two for one travel size cocaine. <laughs> yeah, oh, I man. think there's a lot of people who are afraid of. Of course, are always mentioning gateway drugs. They're like. Oh, this is just going to make things worse, and there's just going to be more people that are addicted, and you've got to imprison and punish these people if you want them to stop, and all that nonsense. Like we haven't already been doing that for twenty years. Man, look, survival of the fittest, and it just work. like Corona. It <laughs> hasn't worked. Y'all ain't giving shit about that virus floating around. Why should you give a shit about somebody who's on cocaine or goddamn heroin? On, survival of the fittest and shit. I say make all the drugs legal. And see how many you can take. If you can survive all them drugs, you'll be all right. Otherwise, exactly. don't fucking worry about it. Everything You're the most political out of all of us. Everything legal. And they can fuck around. They can sell that shit in 7-Eleven. How you like that shit? Go ahead. You get you a little crystal meth while you go get you a Slurpee. Go right mm -hmm. in. Have fun. Have a ball. <laughs> Shit. Oh, but the second you rob somebody, we gonna blow your ass away. <laughs> you fuck up and you fuck, you can take all the drugs you want, but you rob somebody, it's a wrap. <laughs> Bruh, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I need this to happen in Chicago with the quickness. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent about it. Okay. All right. Moving on from the election and those shenanigans, um, I think we're coming up to a point of conversation where we end on what is always our final topic, the Bears. And Not always. this time, 
Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, <laughs> sure you did. didn't ask how, sure didn't. how I was doing today. today. It's already 1216, brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we said that. You'll what? be all right. Hold what? on to your stories for next week. It's not a topic every time <laughs> we end. <laughs> so, uh, the Bears, brothers. And actually, this time, I'm going to step back and let you all lead the conversation <laughs> regarding the Bears team in whatever you direction take a step you'd like to go. Because I feel like what <laughs> Gabby, I feel sorry for you. You should just go ahead and be a Bears fan, all right? It's Chicago. We got Giants fans in the chat, y'all. I don't understand why. What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I, who even says they're a Giants fan publicly Giants anymore? Fans? Come on now. Oh my God. <laughs> Ooh, all right. So, I guess. <laughs> Hey, you you all wanted to end talking about the Bears. And I feel like what has happened multiple times over the past few weeks is that we get into these conversations. I provide clear-cut stats, figures, evidence, professional writings from major newspapers in this city to explain my position, and yet you all still refuse to see. Not only do you refuse to see but then we exchange messages outside of this show where you say you're confused about why the Bears keep winning. And I provide this information to you again, and you still say, well, I just don't know. It couldn't be that. So let me be befuddled for a few minutes more. So I, I've decided the problem is that I'm being too forceful. About it. I need to take a step back, let y'all lead this conversation, and then maybe on your own, you'll come to the obvious conclusions, all right? So which one of you would like to start? It seems like Jason keeps... Uh, I just wanted to know, ask Hudson a question. Hudson. Uh, so go ahead, go ahead, bro. Hudson, go ahead, Hudson remind me, when did he bring up stats? Have you, did, Week before did, last. Did we miss that I one? went through a whole article. Hmm. Of, you of, went you through know, an article? Let me be quiet. You went through an article that talked about how good he was in the locker room. You didn't bring up one stat, not one. That's not true. That's most That's certainly true. true. That, is, not. that is most certainly true. Only That's thing you true, talked brother. about at your, at your best friend's article from the Chicago Sun-Times or where he was from was about the attitude and the championship mentality that he brought to the locker room. And we constantly argued and said it's not translating to the field. You never brought up one stat. Not one, but we could do it today. <laughs> Let's talk about some Can stats. I speak now? Because what you're saying is absolutely wrong. Is it? Uh, yes. I specifically brought up the stats of the playoff run that he had with oh, the Eagles leading to the Super Bowl. I said, I, I said specifically uh, that the yardage, uh, how many passes he threw in comparison to the interceptions and how he has a stellar run when it mattered the most. And this fed into my whole point that he is bringing a championship mentality, stand up when the situation is at its hardest, when the pressure is on, he's the guy that you want playing at the center. So th this all flowed into what I was saying. Oh, let me but apologize. again, this is why this this is why you don't agree with me because you're just dismissing what I say out of hand. Let, let me be the first to apologize to, to you. And then. instead holding on to 
your incorrect perspectives. Let me be the so first I to apologize today, to you then. Both of you plan to actually listen to what I'm saying. Let me be Go the ahead, first brother. to apologize to you for bringing up stats from two years ago. Apologies. I apologize. You did mention stats from years ago when he won that championship two years ago. Right on. Let's talk about the last couple of games. Let's talk about those stats. So this is after the Rams game, which is where we were supposed to talk about this in the grand scheme of it all. But we've gotten past New Orleans. And That's not true, but okay. It, what's not true? We weren't supposed to talk <laughs> we about were, the after the we Rams were not game. Supposed to talk about it? No, that's not true. Really? <laughs> we yes. weren't. No. Oh man, I just listened to that episode where we said we were. Interesting. Hey fans, y'all go ahead, y'all jump on and check us out on Spotify and Apple iTunes and all those, and you can go back. I don't know exactly which episode it was. It had to be before that Rams game. So I'm going to say you it was somewhere around was what was it, 14 or 13? I just listened to it, so I remember it. I I, I just got to get the number of the episode. That's all I got to do. We were supposed to have this conversation after the Rams game. But what we have here right now are some stats after the Rams game. Then I'll get to the stuff that happened in New Orleans. Foles, and it, oh, let, me, let me do like you did, too. Uh, this is coming from NBC Sports, posted by Michael David Smith. He is a sports reporter for NBC Sports. It's not a Chicago sports. Uh, it's not a Chicago native, but uh, the, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, he he ahead. he knows how to list stats, just like because the NFL lists them, so it's it's easy to just go ahead and do that. It's, it's not very hard but to he make. He knows up. nothing about the Bears. You gotta be from Chicago <laughs> to list the stats. <laughs> Look, uh, wait, wait, what? I no. keep on going. You can never mind. You can Jason, say that as going. slow as you like. You you like to, and you can squint your face while you say it as much as you like. The fact right. remains that this person, whoever it is, he knows nothing about the Chicago Bears. He's just reading numbers off of a sheet and then trying to interpret the data with no real understanding of how those numbers applied to the actual games that they were playing. What? I brought up a Chicago Sometimes journalist Don't worry, because I some wanted someone who was going to be deeply we'll, involved in the situation. We'll so what I'm going to say is data. not going to mean anything to you. So I'll start we'll, off we'll, with this. We'll interpret the data. <laughs> Here's, here's what I'll start we'll off with. Since, since Foles became the Bears starter in week four, the Bears are dead last in the NFL with an average of 260 yards per game. In three games Trubisky started, the Bears' offense was never held under 300 yards. The Bears have gained fewer than 300 yards in all four of games, all four of the games Foles has started. The Bears averaged 22.0 first downs or 22 first downs in Trubisky's two full games. They've averaged 17 and a half first downs in Foles' four full games. Foles has worse stats than Trubisky across the board. Whether judging by passer rating, Trubisky is a 87.4, Foles is 77.6. ESPN's quarterback metric Trubisky is 56.4 as Foles as at 46.2. Or yards per attempt, Trubisky's six and a half, Foles five, 5.9. Trubisky and Foles have both thrown six touchdown passes this season. 
But Foles has thrown six interceptions while Trubisky threw three. Trubisky is also threat as a runner who is averaging 10.9 yards per carry on the season. Foles actually has negative rushing yards this season, which makes perfect sense because he's slow as shit. Uh, from all appearances, Bears coach Mac Nagy has made his decision and is sticking with Foles as the starter. But there is little reason to believe Foles is going to turn the Bears' offense around. He did it briefly against the Falcons team, known for allowing fourth-quarter comebacks, but he hasn't done it since. And that's just off of the reporting from after the Rams game, which is what I really wanted to talk about last week. But it's okay. We, we got that on out the date. So now we go to what happened on Sunday. That debacle. Is this another non-Chicago writer writing? Well, right now I'm looking at the Bears Wire. So this is an article by... It doesn't really have a name on it. This is like uh, several different ones. So I don't have one specific. I'll go through. Hudson, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Real quick, do you do you think a a, a Chicago writer would have made those wow. stats better somehow? Uh, I'm I'm trying to understand how a Chicago writer is supposed to make those numbers. No, I assume higher? that he was going what, to also they provide do? some interpretation of the stats, not just the stats themselves. What kind of interpretation? Oh, you're mad that he only supplied the news. Okay, you wanted commentary from this. And you didn't just want stats. I thought we were going to so provide is, the commentary. Is this just two guys Please reading off a bunch of numbers? The, is that what stats, you're reading for sir? me? Is that what's happening right now? That's what stats are. Okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, brother. You added, you wanted stats. You said you provided stats. Please go on. Is because I'm not talking stats. about the championship mentality. That's the problem. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Do you think? Do well, you in think. the grand scheme, I mean, this is what we have been talking about for the for the for the last few weeks. Is we're talking about the fact that you believe that he's bringing a championship caliber mentality and a feeling to the team. You were going to read the stats for the Saints game. Go ahead. I don't have those up yet, uh, so I'm I'm filling I'm filling. At this point. Oh, so you weren't prepared for this conversation. I didn't have the New Orleans stats up right away. (laughs) But I can can easily. (laughs) I mean, we can still refer back to the Rams game because nothing has really changed from that game from Monday to Sunday. So provide me your interpretation of those facts from the Rams game. From the Rams game. Well, as I've always explained and how I've talked about for the last couple of episodes is the Bears offense is inept and does not have the capacity to move the ball when it's necessary or score. And to go against what it is that you're trying to, I guess, explain in regards to why the Bears are what they are, is you feel that Nick Foles makes them better on the field. And my problem with that is, is the only thing that you provided in evidence to that is suggestions from how he is off the field. I have stats that say on the field, he's terrible. Off the field, I can really give a shit. I can give a damn if he's, you know, he's, he's, he's an all, he's all purpose guy in the locker room and all the receivers and whatnot have respect for him. Yeah, that's all great. That's all great and good, but they suck on the field. They suck ass on the field. And that's where the problem is. 
Hudson, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty much ditto. I mean the the whole I mean the whole the whole argument seems to be that whether he brings a championship mentality or not, you know, and and there, there's a bunch of reasons that this offense can't move the ball, but that wasn't what that wasn't what you tried to sell us on. You tried to sell us on that he had the championship mentality that could help turn around some of these problems. That can help some of these problems. That can that can help them move the ball. It just doesn't seem like it's translated. It, it, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not sitting here saying we need to go back to Trubisky. I'm not sitting here saying that, you know what I'm saying is is that he's not the one that's going to get us to the Super Bowl. It just doesn't look like that. He's not the one that's going to to instill that championship mentality. He just doesn't seem like the guy that's going to make that happen. You know, uh, so I just don't see how he can come in and and change what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. Any follow-up to that, Jason? Uh, Ditto. (laughs) I I don't even see him winning any more games, quite honestly. That that, that whole joint, the stacking wins, he's stacking losses now. And granted, in the grand scheme of it, I'll even even take it. And here's the thing, and I will say this. I'm not going to say that Nick Foles is the issue. I think the entire Bears organization is the issue. I think Foles, unfortunately, has just become a part of a bigger problem. But to argue against what you're saying, I don't believe he's doing anything to make anything better. I think he's just another cog in the system that sucks ass and has cracks in it and needs to be oiled. I feel like he's a filler. He's a different face that we get to sit here and punch as Bears fans as we've been doing for the last two or three decades. I see no changes in anything. The coaching is just another coach who was popular at the time, who got the nod, is getting paid. Uh, shit, they, they went and got a defensive coordinator and shit I, I think sucks on ass. And it's – I don't, I don't see anything really translating on the field. I don't even I don't even really have the respect for the defense that they steady talking about. Every time an announcer comes on the TV and they start talking about, oh, yeah, this Bears team, this, this defense is a top five team, I don't think so. You got an old slow-ass linebacker in Danny Trevathan and shit who seems to be at his – who has lost his prime. He can barely keep up with a tight end. You got fucking defensive backs. You got some decent defensive backs, but the problem is, is they run a defense and shit that they seem to be completely confused in running. Because for some reason, when you're on fucking the 20-yard line and the quarterback is steady throwing to the fucking end zone, you give a fucking tight end 10 yards worth of cushion. <laughs> Fuck it, go ahead, score. We ain't really even trying. This bend the don't break bullshit. It, it gets on my nerve. And then you have an offense. You have an offense with an offensive line that's basically put together like shitty Legos. I don't I don't know what a what a bullshit brand of Legos are, so it's the only one I can use. You have receivers. You got too many damn receivers, number one. You got one that you just you're refusing to pay, who's clearly the workhorse on the field. You got a couple of other ones, and some you got a rookie that looks decent, but you can't get him the ball. Because the quarterback that you got out there ain't got no fucking arm. He got accuracy. It's great, but he doesn't have any arm to use it. 
And the only problem is that you can throw the other one that you got sitting on the bench who has plenty arm, but he couldn't hit the fucking side of a bar if you asked him to. So having fast air receivers that run down the field it means nothing. So you have a bunch of pieces to an offense that don't work. You got an entire and, – and they put this team together. And the few pieces that they had that I thought actually worked well, they put together before the dude even got there, and then you got rid of them. So now you're sitting here and you, you're talking about, I love my, my running back room, where you only really got one fucking running back, and then you got a damn receiver playing running back. And you say, fuck trading for somebody to handle. I like my running back room. I like my quarterback room. Well, I hate all that shit because this all sucks. I hate the coach's room. I hate the quarterback room. I hate the offensive line room. Everything about the offense sucks ass. And the defense is slowly but surely following right behind it. Just like you say, that atmosphere that he seems to create and the Bears, when they go and they play at the level of whatever team they playing, that's horse shit. <laughs> okay, I don't. I don't understand how that's possible. I'm. I'm going to bring my level down to play because they suck. We gonna suck too. I. I can't watch football like that. That. That don't make no sense. That doesn't mean that you want to win championships. That don't mean you want to win playoff games. That don't mean you want to fuck around and you want to be something other than what you've been for the last thirty years, hanging your hat on nineteen eighty fucking five. So that's my problem with the Bears. So I sat back and listened to what both you all had to say. And I I feel like, Jason, you hit the nail on the head. The problem is the Bears organization and some of the other pieces that they have put into place to try to change the situation. Nick Foles is one of the few correct moves that they have made. I understand that you've been listening to these sports writers and broadcasters who are not from Chicago and only really write these articles as a side hustle and don't really dig in and interpret the data and try to find out why certain situations are happening. But I had the pleasure of watching Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless on Fox News who get paid millions of dollars to announce the, to analyze these types of situations. And what Skip Bayless said is what is obviously going on. He's like, Nick Foles doesn't have time to throw. He's like, specifically um, with both the Saints and the Rams game, but I think it was even more evident in the Rams game, they are rushing four guys and getting to the quarterback every time. No need to blitz. Nick Foles is taking three and five steps drops knowing he is about to get hit knowing he will not have enough time to get a throw off. There is no quarterback who can thrive under those type of conditions. Tom Brady was on a Patriots team that went 18-0, set all kind of records, blew out all kind of teams, and then they got to a Giants team that didn't need to blitz, that could just rush four guys and hit Brady on a consistent basis They couldn't even score 17 points. All of a sudden, they look human. In the Super Bowl game, no less. No quarterback, no matter how great, no matter how incredible, can thrive under the the conditions that Nick Foles is being asked to operate in. 
And so it's making him look like he's this mediocre quarterback who is part of the problem when that is not actually the case. Nick Foles is fine. He does have an arm. If he can drop back actually five steps, get his feet set, and throw the ball, his ball sails just fine. But if you're dropping back five steps and you're throwing scared or you're getting hit while you're throwing or you have to run while you're throwing, yes, it does affect how far he can throw. He's not a quarterback who you can just bomb it no matter the situation. He does need at least some measure of protection. And what we have right now is an offensive line who three of the five members of this line were not starting at the beginning of the season. We, they have been hit by injuries, and one could argue they are experiencing a lack of quality coaching, which is putting them in a situation where everybody is getting past them, and Foles does not have enough time to throw. Now, you could try to make the argument that Trubisky is a runner, and that maybe if all these people are getting past the line, Trubisky is the better option because he's going to be more likely to be able to run around all of this pressure and maybe take advantage of some situations, that's a legitimate point. You might try to be able to bring that up. But the fact of the matter is, we've already had two years of Trubisky and seen he's not really the answer. He's not the guy who's going to get it done, period. So I would argue the real solution is that line needs to get its shit together and at least provide Foles a couple of seconds to set his feet and make a decision so that we can experience the quality football that we all know he is capable of, all right? Now, nothing I just said or what we've seen on the field discounts the incredible effect he's having in the locker room and spreading that championship culture and that championship mentality. That is still crucial and important, no matter how many times y'all want to dismiss that. But the fact of the matter is, going back to the Tom Brady situation again, championship culture mentality can only overcome so much. At the end of the day, either you have an, you're working for an organization that is serious about winning, putting pieces in place to allow a team to win, or you don't. And the fact of the matter is, like you just said, the Bears are in a situation where they're being controlled by ownership that has no idea what it's doing, is not committed to winning, and is putting pieces in place that aren't really going to help get the Bears where we want them to go. Now, it's possible that Nick Foles is going to be able to overcome all that and make the sum of the parts greater than what they are individually. But he needs, he does need time to throw in order to be able to do that, all right? You can look at me as crazy as you like and dismiss my words as much as you like, but I'm speaking facts. I am trying to bring the word to the people, and I don't understand why the people... Keep ignoring and refusing it. But these are the facts, brother. This is the situation that we're in. Now, the defense. So so, so to discuss the defense a little bit, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. In that Rams game, the Rams clearly had the defense's number. But the defense was still able to keep to keep a hold of them. And, and I attribute that to the sheer talent that's on that defense. You know, that that man on man that they were able to help overcome. Because remember, they got a they got a block field goal. They got a they got a uh they got a pit six. You know, so they, they still did some good things on that defensive side of the game. And remember, they didn't give up that many points, you know, to the Rams. So, you know, I I'm not you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say that the to me the defense did not have a bad game against the Rams. I'm gonna sit here and say that the defense, the defense had a couple meltdowns against the uh, uh, Saints. Right? They had a couple meltdowns where they did not cover the middle of the field. You know, and that was a couple meltdowns. And I almost want to say those were coaching errors. It, you know, in, in, in my opinion, but we could just say it was just a couple meltdowns on some people. Where, but <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of those things where. You know, we we asked that defense constantly, game in, game out, to be perfect. You know, we we almost don't allow them to make mistakes. And and to a certain extent, Pagano's bend but don't break has allowed them to make a a few smaller mistakes in there, still give up maybe a field goal. Because remember, this this is one of the best teams in the NFL right now in the red zone. You know that defense in the red zone is not is is there. This field goes all day. <laughs> you know, so so I and some of the positions they have been put in, uh, I believe they were put in a position where where they they started they returned a a, a kick down to the like the sixteen yard line and the defense still held to a field goal. So you know they've been put into some hell of a position. So so I don't want to say. Well, they took a step back, absolutely, under Pagano. But I, I, I won't go as far as to say that they're not a top-five defense. I still think they are. And I, and I think they, they threw out all the penalty calls, threw out all the, you know, the, this this league is still offense. It's still offense. They don't want defense. I still think that defense is top-five. And, and I think they are the, the reason that the Bears have been in every game this season they are the reason you know um i heard a lot of flat for for i forget was it who was it that that batted down the ball and didn't actually make the catch was it jackson wasn't jackson who was it i can't remember which that was gibson but that back yeah he batted it down but but again you know it's always you know sometimes the instinct just depending on sometimes it's to bat it down you know, it's so, so, you know, a lot of people harped on him not getting the interception. But, damn, we need the offense to score. So, you know, again, we asked them to be perfect on many occasions. <laughs> and, I, and I think they hold up pretty damn well, personally. Now, with regards to the line and with regards to, you know, our play calling on offense is too predictable. And, and you know, that, that, that isn't doing the offensive line any favors. Right. Every time Patterson is in the backfield, you can rest assured he's getting the ball on a pitch or a handoff. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not faking nothing. Right. Patterson back there, he's getting the ball. And, and they just they key in on it. They key in on it. Why is Patterson constantly 
running the ball 10 yards from in the end zone on every kickoff <laughs> and getting to the 20 to 15. Why is he doing this every – I mean, there's obvious and, – and, and look, don't get me started on us paying that money to bring in Jimmy Graham. And, and he's not even in half the time when they're in the red zone. And the other half, they're just not even tossing it to him. Right? But so, But now, from what I remember from this last game against the Saints, right? And yes, Foles does not have a lot of time back there. He, he had less time against the Rams. He had a little bit more time in this Saints game. Because the Saints don't have don't have Donald like the Rams do. So so he had a little bit more time back there this time. But here's what I saw. I saw I saw Mooney, who could have got a nice little 40, 50 yard pickup, possibly to the end zone, had 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 um falls through it more toward the middle instead of throwing it where the defense could bat it down. Here, I also saw a couple throws, uh, a few throws, in fact, that were behind, that were behind the receiver, right? So some, so so I can understand that maybe he spooked back there, right? But they get paid the big butts for a reason. They get spooked. They gotta adjust out there. And I don't like the fact that when he's sitting back there and he's going for that big play, he just his eyes is on that big play. You don't even consider his check down. You don't even consider it. You don't even look in that direction, right? We're throwing. We keep. I keep seeing them throw double covered in the mooning, <laughs> you know. Which, which I understand they're going to do that sometimes. But you know, maybe sometimes we need to just take a step back <laughs> and toss that ball to the to the receiver five yards down <laughs> and take that check down. I don't know. I, I'm starting to see some. I'm starting to see some. Uh, some little signs of uh, some chink in the in the armor of that's supposed to be on foals, according to you. I, I'm seeing some chinks in there, you know. But I'll be the first to say it don't matter who's under center, and uh, you know it, it, it doesn't matter. You know they're they're having some problems there, but I think the biggest thing is the is the play predictability. I think we need to change that. I think. I think we need to to get somebody else calling those plays out there. And I think Folt, I think uh, uh, Nagy said something very telling, is that when Wilms had that altercation, that fight on the field, mm-hmm. Nagy said, I didn't see it. He said, I didn't see it. And that's very telling. He's the head coach, and he did not see his player out there. You know, and, and I think that's very telling. Get his face out of that playbook and have him looking at what's going on on that field, right? He could have caught something and maybe calmed, maybe calmed Wilms down before he went back out there on that field and, and did what he did. He needs to be paying attention to the whole game and not just trying to call plays are you sitting there looking the in his playbook. Or I guess it was the NFL, actually, who suspended Wilms for two games. Are you comfortable with leaving it at that, or do you feel like the Bears should cut him? I think he's actually a pretty decent receiver when he's on the field. Sure. I don't think the Bears should he's cut him. Pretty damn good shit when he's on the field. Only problem is mm-hmm. he done been on the team for the last three, four years, and he don't see the field. And the one time he actually gets on the field, he has a bit of fucking fight. Right. So I don't think. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, let me say this: they took his mouthpiece. 
He snatched his mouthpiece. And I didn't even see that Wilms had a chance to even get another one. You know, and and I I, I did MMA for a little bit, right? I know what it takes to fit that mouthpiece. <laughs> it, it's not fun, and it takes some time. So I would assume maybe they have some other mouthpieces as backup that they've that they've done before, but <laughs> it's nothing quite like the one that you use all the time. And for him to snatch it, throw it on the field, and then one of the Bears, one of, I think the center, <laughs> I think he ended up grabbing it and tossing it back there because it was on, wow. it was right there where he was on the field. It's like you know, and so 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 he's out there possibly without a mouthpiece in a very dangerous sport. And and I, I feel that. I feel that. But again, I think Nagy needs to be paying attention to what's going on out there and catch those kind of things. So, you know, I, I, I don't I don't think they should cut him, but I do think they need to have a serious conversation with him. But again, we're not in practices. We don't know how hot headed he might be in practices or things like that. But you know, I, I they definitely need to have a sit down talk with him and let him know he's got to he's got to fight after the game. School. Hold on to all that shit to the after the game. If you go fight, shit, kick it off after the game. Where that go? If it penalizes, it's just gonna be you. Because at right. this point, and whatnot, it it, it it the penalty fucked it fucked up your team. It put them in a bad spot where foes threw another damn interception right after it. Uh, not another. He only threw one interception that game. And he's thrown eight this year. He's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. So, it's anyway. The state of our <laughs> line is very unfortunate. Yeah, I'm glad it's the offensive line. Maybe you just shouldn't throw that damn thing. <laughs> That's my thing. It's you a, have to. Get sacked. Take the sack. You can't just, you Take can't the sack. That's better than turning the ball over. They're barely scoring points as it is. No, you got so throwing it to somebody, throwing it to another team is going to make it better. To the one point Hudson made that I disagree with, like you were saying, I hate seeing him throw it to double coverage downfield. I wish he would just throw to a checkdown. That's what I used to hate about Trubisky. He was always going to the damn checkdown. It seemed like he never wanted to actually take a chance to throw it downfield. I appreciate about Foles that hey, look. We've got to move the ball downfield if we're going to score some damn points. I can't be focusing on this check down. The problem is that we don't have real weapons. Like, Allen Robinson is cool, but he ain't really that explosive guy that, like, you can depend upon to say, hey, if I force feed the ball to this guy, he's going to get me 150 yards and a, touch- and a touchdown. He's not that dude. And Foles doesn't have that dude. And so he's basically trying to force the ball downfield to these guys who ain't built like that, and it's causing issues. It's causing interceptions. It's causing incompletion. Why isn't Allen Robinson one of them dudes? No, he is not. Why is he not? How is he? Why isn't he? I'm asking you. You the one brought it up. (laughs) Because he's he's not explosive like that. He's not beating double teams like that either. Like, he's essentially a route running guy. He's like He's like a taller Wes Welker, all right? He is not like a Randy Moss uh, a type of dude. He's not. But Wes Welker was now. a game changer. Yeah. Even as a Randy. route runner. The whole point of throwing the ball is to throw to somebody who's not covered. And most with route Tom, runners are the ones who are not covered the majority of the time. With Tom which Brady, Allen, which Allen, which Allen Robinson mostly is. The majority of the time he's out there and the ball is thrown to him, he's usually by himself. Even Two when things. he's double covered. Two things. 
One, Wells Walker was a game changer with Tom Brady. Once he left Tom Brady, his stats tanked. All right, that's number one. What well, that got to number do with two, anything? That means that these 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 incredible the wide receivers with that specific skill set need to be paired with incredible quarterbacks. Nick Foles is a champion. He is. <laughs> so, but he doesn't have time to throw. So he doesn't have time to allow for your, your route to develop. So he can't throw the ball to you at the point that you need to get it. As opposed to, again, a guy like Randy Moss where it doesn't matter where he's at in the route. It, it, it really doesn't. Throw the ball my way. I'll figure it out and make it happen. All right? He's not one of them dudes. You're, he's a route runner. So he needs to be able to break and then break off to the side, create separation, and then you hit him at that exact point. And then he tries to get it some additional yards. All right. So you saying... Outside of that, he's not making it happen. And Nick Foles doesn't have enough time to wait for him to make that cut. So shorten so the route. Take it the ball to him. So shorten the routes for the route runner. You can't blame Foles for that. Foles calls that at the line. Foles has to recognize that a blitz is coming. That's what Tom Brady did. That at the line. First, he audibles that. That, that, that this, 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 has, this has no basis in reality. Number one, they, he is experienced. He is experiencing pressure when they are not blitzing. They are doing four man rushes and still getting to him. So there is no read the line and see where the blitz is and change the play accordingly. They don't have to blitz to hit him because our offensive line is absolutely porous. And yes, that mattered more during the Rams, but it still mattered during the Saints. Plenty of four-man rushes that ended in a Nick Foles hit. When he wasn't holding on to the ball, he just did a little four, four, five-strip drop. And hey, I got a man in my face and there's nothing I could do. All right, You don't that, have to have a blitz coming at you to change a route. He can I, still I, shorten I, I can't hear the route. At the same time. Who wants to speak? He can still shorten the route. If he he went on record as saying, he went on record as saying that Nagy doesn't understand that I don't have the kind of time for the plays he's calling. So he clearly understands he doesn't have the time. So what you're he saying, can shorten the route. So what you're saying while is, he's in that huddle. Instead of taking a 10, that, 10 foot that, and break, take five no and break. Sense. So what you're basically advocating is Every time he comes up, because every if they can do a four-man rush and hit him, that means every single time you run a passing play, you have a very good chance of the, of the front line being able to get to you. So what you're basically advocating for is on those plays where Matt Nagy has Allen Robinson running longer routes, come up to the line and just shorten it. Just shorten it automatically. That's called because an audible. Because you know the line is going to get to you. So, no, no, no. But you're not supposed to call an audible every single damn You play. can do whatever you you're want not. if you're the quarterback and you know what's going on on the field. That's the whole you point cannot. of being the quarterback. You no, know you're that, getting that, a rush come brought on to you. That is if you know the play that comes in, you can pick out a receiver, shorten his route, run a slant, no. run a out. You can do any of that. This, you is, can not, this is not oh It's not the way it works. That's the exactly coach, how it works. It is not exactly that's how. That's what Tom Brady did. Tom Brady does it every time he's on the field. That's why Wes Welker was so successful. Anytime Tom Brady felt some kind of pressure or if he saw a coverage that was different, he would change a receiver's route. That's why Wes Welker was so successful. Not to mention the fact he played a slot and he was a route runner. If you can change the route of a route runner, he can do whatever you need him to do. 
that's the whole point of being a quarterback is to get out there and say, okay, these four motherfuckers is rushing me a little faster, so let me shorten up the route, get the ball out faster, which not only makes the defense change up, that makes them guys that's running at you faster slow down because they're not getting to you fast enough, which is going to make them lag. Then you can drop back for them five routes, or you can audible it to a run. Either way it goes, it's about slowing them down. If they know all you're going to do is make five-step drops, that gives them the no-ahead to just rush at you all day long. And they don't have to worry about anything because they know you can't run away because you're slow as hell. And the offensive line ain't finna stop them. You can audible that shit to a screen. Quarterback can do whatever he wants to as long as he knows his players. He knows as long as the, the receivers know the routes. Quarterbacks do it all the time. All day long, and they don't have to be blitz. Quarterbacks change up routes depending on the coverage that they have. It doesn't have to be a blitz. That's what it is to be a quarterback, is to be able to recognize what's coming at you. And if he can't do that, then he goes start constantly keep getting it. Y'all done? Can I talk now? <laughs> Y'all done? Because it don't make no sense. It Go don't right. make no sense. There's no quarterback in, in the entire fucking league except for, except for Tom Brady and before Drew him, Brees. Peyton Manning. Uh, not even Drew Brees. Drew Brees does not it all the Drew time. Brees. No, he does it all the time. He doesn't do it every fucking play. He could. He does it. He could if he, he wants to. No, not really. No. Sean Payton is part of the reason Sean Payton is well respected is because he's considered an offensive genius. He has decided this is the, the offensive heart of the team. This is the style of our play calling. Drew Brees figures out how to work within that system to get what it is that they want. That's the way this relationship works. Tom Brady changes things every damn play because Belichick is known for having no fucking offense. Tom Brady basically was the offensive coordinator when he was there. Bill Belichick calls defensive plays. Tom Brady would change everything about that offense. That's why the Patriots are falling apart this year, because Tom Brady isn't there to basically make that offense work. This is not the situation we have on the Bears. Nick Foles does not that have that kind of cachet where he can come up to the line every single goddamn play and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. change a route. Tell us. Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy. Matt I'm not Nagy saying change the play, back. change a route. That's He's a totally not. that's a totally different thing. It could be the same play. He can pick a receiver and change his route. If Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy clearly sees what's happening. He, he sees how often Nick Foles is being hit. If he has decided offensively that I see this, and yet still, every single time I want Allen Robinson to go out further. So we can try to long ball him or get that deep throw. And every single play, uh, Nick Foles decides, I believe I'm about to get hit, so I'm going to shorten up this route. Nagy is going to pull him. No, that is not. exactly what's going to happen. Not if it Nagy works. Nagy is going to pull him. <laughs> not if it works. It won't because he's still going to get hit at the end of the day. So it don't matter what's going to happen. He, Nick Foles is just going to do as he's told, and he's just going to keep getting hit. Nothing will change until this offensive line improves. That ain't happening Nothing. this year. Quarterback, so your, your, your to, champion and whatnot is not going to save his life. He's going to that's allow himself to be, be crushed are learning because he's not doing what Nagy's telling him. You have to give them time to jail. You have no idea what these people are going to look like in week 12. 
No. This is the same offensive line it was from last year. It's not. Three of the five starters are injured. Now. It's not the same. Now line. they are. It's even <laughs> yes. the same backups. It's the same it's, it's the same offensive line except for maybe one or two guys. And now these backups are being started. It's a totally different road to hoe. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get it together. They're going to gel together. And at the end of the day, we're going to go to the playoffs and then on to the Super Bowl. It'll be fine. It'll work. It'll work. You just got to give it time. This is where championship culture and and locker room and chemistry all comes into play. Nick Foles has to be able to sit with these guys and be able to get them to gel together so that we can do what we need to do on the football field. How does he do this that This is why exactly. this stuff is important. How, how is like, sitting down with an offensive line going to help them gel? Because it's about chemistry and culture. How are you going to build a culture with people if you're not sitting down and talking with them? It's not learning how to play the game. It's not. No. It's not. This is not about. The culture is not about X's and O's. It's, it's about it's heart about and passion commuting and, and, and belief in yourself. It's about Nick Foles sitting down and teaching them what it is to be a champion. What you say? That's, that's what's going to make the offensive line gel. I knew if I let you lead the conversation, some of what I said will start will start hitting you deeper and you start being able to interpret it for yourself. What you just said is exactly what I've been talking about, but you've never really, you've never repeated it back to me in that way. I can already tell this is the right decision. I think I'm going to have y'all lead the Bears conversations in the future so that we can get more of this because you are slowly but surely understanding what I'm saying. And then when it starts translating into more and more Bears wins, you're going to remember these conversations and realize that I was correct all along. The Bears are not making the playoffs. They're not going to make it this year. Some you want to put some money on that? They're, they're just not. What, what makes you think they're about to? What makes you think they're because about to make the playoffs? I, I, like you, I, the process. I mean, that's part of it. Uh, like you already said, I do believe that we have a, a high quality defense that needs to just gel a little bit more, and then they can become truly elite. Um, I believe that a lot of our offensive problems are due to our offensive line and that the offensive line is going to get better over the course of the season as these backups adapt and learn how to be starters. And I think Nick Foles is a quarterback who is capable enough, competent enough, and is instilling the type of culture in our team that's going to allow us to reach the playoffs. Will we reach the Super Bowl? Not so sure. But the playoffs? Absolutely. Um, not to mention the fact that it's not like we're in. So, so eight games. What what is a course of a season that right. you think we're eight games in right now? Like, like how much course of a eight season? Eight games do you, in, we're still in a very strong here? position to win the division. So it's not like we're bottom of the totem pole. What's the problem? We're in a strong position to win. I guess we are in second place. So. I, All right, then. I, I guess, like, so, mathematically, I guess. But okay, then. I, what else matters? The math and the facts, brothers. Don't get into your feelings. You don't have the facts. <laughs> you don't You don't have facts. <laughs> the math is the facts. You fact. got a little math and whatnot because we five and three, and, and, and Green Bay is, what, five and two. You got the math. You don't have the right. facts. 
How do I not have the facts? Uh, because you're talking no about the quarterback the sitting down and yelling the offensive line. Yeah. That's not math and that's not facts. That's, that's a feeling. That's emotion, hey. sir. You are in Brother. your feelings. <laughs> I feel I feel Nick Foles is going to sit down and, and kumbaya with everybody and turn them into champions somehow. Tell you what. I tell you what. I hope, I hope he sit their asses down and he jail their ass into a championship. Get the jelly. He, he should have been sitting down. If that's the case, he should have been talking to him. That shit ain't working out on the field. Brother, your pessimism is not helping. All right? I'm just watching the I game. Need you to be, I need you to step out of your feelings, take a step game. back, all right, and look at what what's actually happening in the context of – what needs to happen in order for us to get out of this situation? I don't want to live in no context. Into the playoffs. I don't want to look at no context. I want to see somebody play good football, and they not doing it. I don't want to. I don't care nothing about yelling. I don't care if they go see a therapist. Whatever they got to do to go play some good football, they need to make that shit happen now because it ain't happening. And that's the shit that's pissing me off. I'm sorry. This is some horrible football. You can't start off five. You can't start off four and zero, and then fuck. At, at the end of the, you got eight more games left. You have you have the capability of going five and fucking eleven. It's true. It won't happen. Yeah. I, <laughs> Shit. I, I certainly hope not. You know what I saw in that Saints game? I I saw them I saw them moving around and stumbling around so much <laughs> that it that it that it made the Saints do the same thing. Have you ever seen the Bulls play these past few years? And they look so sloppy out there. They look like a high school basketball team that the other team gets sloppy too. Have you ever been to the bar or been to the club? And you all right. You you ain't had too much to drink, but your buddy got too much to drink, and he always falling into you, so it's making you stumble. That's what the Bears offense did against the Saints last week. They stumbling around so much that the Saints started stumbling That's around. That's what they did to Tampa Bay. That's Breaking why they was terrible. They out there getting penalties <laughs> left and right. Here come Tampa Bay getting penalties left and right. That, that's the only time I can actually agree with Sabori where he talk about they play to other teams' levels. I think other teams are playing to their level because they suck. <laughs> <laughs> they niggas went out there and got about 14, 15 penalties, and Tampa Bay got about 16 right behind them. It turned into the penalty bowl. Who gonna get the Who gonna get the least flags? I tell you what. Oh my God! Who's that Tennessee running back? Is his name like Derrick Henry? Because we we about to run up against a freight train with that dude. So 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 they gotta uh, they gotta be on it for that dude. They gonna make Brian Tannehill look all world. (laughs) They gonna try. Understand? And that's the ooh, and that's the other shit that pissed me off. <laughs> Damn Rams game, and I wanted to talk about that. You made Leonard Floyd look like the best thing coming out of damn Chicago. <laughs> this nigga ain't had a sack in four years. He go to goddamn, go play him in LA and shit. He get two. Are you fucking kidding me? I was so fucking pissed off at that shit. And what was bad was he was going up against Massey, who Massey see this nigga in practice all the time. How you can't block this dude? Cause it's a real game. <laughs> this thing, Leonard Floyd couldn't get close to a quarterback. Everybody could block this dude. How, 
how, how do you know that he wasn't getting past him in practice as well? <laughs> Look here. If, if that's the case, Massey should go and shoot himself. <laughs> that shit was ridiculous. Got Linda Floyd out there celebrating and dancing all around. I was so fucking mad. <laughs> okay. That's how y'all feel about it? Told you. And I said that shit too. And the Bears always do. They trade some motherfucker. They end up playing his ass. Just like Adrian Amos last year got that interception in the fucking end zone that killed our asses and shit. Oh, there go another Bears player coming to all world somewhere else. Wow. Well, we will see how the season continues to unfold, brothers. I'm looking forward to discussing more Bears football with you in the future. And my hope, my hope is that by the time we reach the end of the season, both of you have the strength of mind and the courage to look into the camera and say, Samora, you were right. I apologize. Thank you for speaking the truth. And I'm looking forward uh, to that moment. I know it's coming. True Bears fans who understand this is going to be a special season know it's coming. And... I'm just looking forward to watching it continue to come into fruition. All right. Thank you, brothers. (laughs) I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We are also on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off. Peace out.